get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Partial break, shoots, he scores! Robert Thomas snuck behind the defense and he's tied it for the Blues. Recovered by Saad, he chucks it to the net and the Blues are saying the puck is in. They've scored and taken a 2-1 lead with 101 to go in the second period. Cairo in front, he shoots, he scores! They took advantage of it. He burns off the wall and he beats the goalie on the near side. 3 to 1, St. Louis, 1947 to go. Third period power play goal. Tyrus bring it off the wall now. Near wing, shooting. Bennington, huge save coming across the mouth of the goal and denied a wide open shot. 30 seconds to go. He's in to McKinnon. McKinnon back to McCarr. Back to McKinnon. One timer wide of the goal again. It's a two man advantage for Colorado. 30 if they since they pulled the goalie here's a drive it's wide rebound knocked away by Pareko 16 seconds remaining it's off McKinnon it's out to center Blues couldn't change Abs coming back in McKinnon with eight seconds to go it's into the corner Pareko takes him to the wall Abs go to center the puck is shot it's missed the Blues clear you can bring out the Zamboni what a great win tonight and a gutty penalty kill to seal it for the Blues. Three to two, the final at Ball Arena. And we had some mom magic tonight. I think the Blues are back. Nico Mikula thinks the Blues are back. The moms are undefeated. And the Blues now in the midst of a three-game win streak. Tanner asked why we had a 90-second open. He said, did we win the cup? You know what? It felt that, like it. Damn, I nearly fell asleep during After the open. No, you didn't. That was exciting, and you knew it. It was a roller coaster game last night. You picked up the victory, and now you've won three consecutive games. Welcome, everyone, into BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. No BK today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. So you've got... Yours truly and Tanner Hendrickson. We've got Jeremy Rutherford coming up in the one o'clock hour, but let's start with last night. You take a 3 1 lead, you score on the power play, you give up a power play goal, and then with two minutes of a power play to a team that was 48% with the extra man on home ice. Think about that for a minute. Nearly 50% of the time, they score a goal when they're on the power play on home ice. You had to deal with a five on three for a minute and 44 seconds, 
a six on three with the goaltender pulled for over a minute. The three, the same three guys were on the ice. The entirety of that five on three slash six on three. Ryan O'Reilly, Colton Pareko, and Nico Mikola. And you held on and beat a team that had won four consecutive games. I, I mean, Tanner, I said yesterday that as great as that Vegas victory was, I was going to be focusing more on how they played against Colorado because it was a team that was waiting for you, a team that knew you were on a little bit of a hot streak rather than Vegas, who may have been may, might have been anticipating a team that was bad and beat a bad team. But you beat a Colorado team that knew exactly what they were getting, and you did it in St. Louis Blues fashion. So my question for you, my question for everyone listening on our Air Comfort Service text line at 65780, was last night the turning point for you to buy back into this Blues team? And maybe you never bought out, but was last night the turning point where you said, you know what, this team is actually good rather than that eight-game losing streak? Yeah, I... I think I'm buying back in now. Yeah. Granted, I bought in after the first three, saw Loon lose eight straight, <laughs> bought out, and then I'm buying the stock again. So, so you're saying the roller coaster season continues? Yeah, who knows what's going to happen? But that did feel more like Blues hockey that we were expecting this year. You know, you had chemistry between all the lines. I thought every line played pretty well last night. You look at the PK, the PK was really good, killing off four of those five, and including that end of the game stand on a six on three, which was unbelievable. Jordan Bennington looked awesome last night. It looked like the team that you're expecting from the St. Louis Blues coming into the season. I, I thought they played all around a great game, and they went up three to one. There was no kind of head dipping moment when they got back to three two, and things didn't really seem to start kind of snowballing on them. I thought there were times where they got pinned in their own zone, but that's going to happen when you're taking on a team like the Colorado Avalanche. And I really like what you saw from that top line, in, or maybe not the top line, but O'Reilly, uh, Levo, and Saw. Those guys played really well together. They were the best line on the ice for the Blues. So I think I'm willing to buy back in for now. And also it's a chance for... I mentioned this yesterday, potentially for the Blues to really build some momentum now because not only did you snap the eight-game winning streak on home ice against San Jose, you should have won that game, and they did, but then you take down two of the best teams in the Western Conference on the road in the Vegas Golden Knights in Colorado, and now the schedule kind of softens just a little bit. They visit the Blackhawks tomorrow, then they've got Washington at home who's been struggling, then they got two straight at home against the Anaheim Ducks, who are the worst team in the Western Conference right now. Oh, man, ESPN's alertness of a three-game win streak. Uh, Probably Greg Wyshynski. Oh, wow. Uh, But I I think they're building some momentum now. And, like, you can look on the schedule. long as they continue to play this way, they should be able to build up some more wins. And I think that you're going to be back bought into the Blues. Yeah, look, I mean, it's confidence right now. And Craig Berube talked about this last night. And, you know, in the midst of that eight-game losing streak, it, it wasn't so much of that they were losing. It was how they were losing. Because as soon as one goal went in, you just knew that things were going to snowball from there. But Craig Berube talked about the difference in this three-game win streak and what they've been accomplishing. Competitiveness for me, like, you know, we're winning a ton of puck battles out there. I think that we're um, starting to get our game going in the offensive zone. And, you know, I thought that we did a good job defensively tonight, protecting the middle of the ice. We gave up outside shots, but we didn't give them. We didn't give them the freebies and the slot shots. I thought we did a good job. How about this? And this is where I feel like they're improving. 
So you went into the third period last night with a 3-0 record win leading. And two of those three wins had come in the win streak that you were in. You entered the third period with that lead over San Jose. You closed it out. You entered the third period with the lead over Vegas. You closed it out. And then you did it also in that Edmonton Oilers game where you were up one to nothing and closed that out with the empty netter to win it to nothing. So now you're 4-0 going into the third period with a lead which to me is significant because that was an issue last season where you'd go into the third period with the lead and you'd give it up and then you'd have to go into overtime. The other thing about that, and it was the major difference for me from the Vegas Golden Knights game to the Blues game. You were outshot against Vegas in the third period, 22 to five. And those five shots that you had came on the two power plays. So you basically had even strength route shot 22 to nothing in a third period when you were leading. Impressive. Usually uh, advanced analytics would tell you that that's not a good thing. But Bennington saved the day. And we'll talk about him a little bit later. Last night, and this is the improvement that I saw. Last night, you went into the third period with the one goal lead. And you were outshot 18 to 13. But they had four shots on the power play. And they had, what was it? Three power plays in that third period. So you were outshot 14 to 13 with a one goal lead against Colorado at even strength. So to me, the Blues didn't take their foot off the gas pedal last night. They kept pressuring Colorado. They got the sustained zone time, and you heard Craig Berube mention it there. They were winning puck battles. All of those are stepping stones, which leads me to have a lot more confidence in this team in the midst of this winning streak. Yeah, and I think that puck battle thing that Craig Berube mentioned, you're really starting to see that now because last night, I think you mentioned it, they were big on the forecheck, especially that O'Reilly line. They were really good at being in the zone, holding that Colorado Avalanche line there. Also, I think the Shen Barbie line, I think they were technically on paper the worst line based on like shots for and shots against and high danger quality or high danger opportunities. But the moment that really stood out to me and it comes down to, and look, I get it, it was one scenario was I think it was the second period. Cairo comes into the offensive zone and they're going for a line change. And what's he do? He just tries and pins the puck on the board. Yeah. Now he lost, a good point. he lost the puck battle, but he at least gave the, the opportunity for the new forwards to come you on the ice. The and, and it was noticeable too. And it was a really smart play from Jordan Cairo showing that more competitiveness. And that's the thing that they were looking for out of him and everybody else on the team. And you really saw that last night. So yeah, winning those puck battles leads to more opportunity. And again, I thought the defense as a whole played really well for the second straight game. I I thought they held Colorado for the most part. I mean, there were a handful. I think they had 10 high danger opportunities in the game. Uh, Yeah, they had 10 in three, four and three in terms of the periods in which they had them. Uh, But I I thought the defense played well. Again, they weren't getting beat back to which had been an issue previously. They felt like they were pretty strong in front of their own net. And then they were really good on the penalty kill as well. Preko and Mikula did a very good job on that six on three at the end of the game. So it was very impressive. Yeah, the fourth line, by the way, they took a shellacking in that one. They they absorbed so many hits, but kept that sustained offensive zone time. The O'Reilly line did that. There's line chemistry that's swinging right now. We'll get into that a little bit later. And to T-Bone's point about the defense, go look at, I tweeted this out last night at Ferrario 101 ESPN. Um, The heat map on natural stat trick, which shows you the amount of attempts and the pressure that they had. Colorado, they were around the net, but it's about as light green as you can ask, which is very minimum shot attempts. So the Blues did a really good job of keeping that team to the outside. And that's the other point that you wanted to get into is the penalty kill. Now, for a while there, the penalty kill was going through some issues. Like, go all the way back to that Boston Bruins loss. They had allowed two power play goals on two chances. They were 29th in the National Hockey League going into last night's game, which is fourth worst in the NHL or third worst in the NHL. 
you stopped Colorado's power play four out of five times, including that five on three, which was a six on three. So as much as we're talking about confidence at five on five, I think you also just gained confidence if you're the Blues at your penalty kill moving forward, which that's an asset that this team absolutely needs if they want to continue these winning ways in November. Yeah, if their penalty kill isn't, I don't want to say it's got to be like top five like it was last year, but if their penalty kill is below league average, this team's going to be in for a problem because yeah. their, their power play is not at the level it was last year to where it can make up for that difference. And also their five-on-five scoring is clearly not where it was last year. So if they're going to struggle on the penalty kill, they're going to be in for a tough tough year. But I think the penalty kill is going to eventually ride itself back in towards that middle-of-the-pack range. I thought last night was a good stepping stone towards that. If they can build confidence off of that, and not only just – the penalty kill itself, but also staying out of the box. That was really the first time in the, cause like the game against Philadelphia, they were in the box. I think it was one time and you are not Philadelphia against uh, San Jose. They're in the box one time. They didn't take a penalty in the Vegas game either. So like it was back-to-back yeah. games with no penalties. And then the game I'm drawing a blank on who it was, but they had only one uh, San Jose. They didn't have any, I think that was Philadelphia where they only Maybe had it was one Philly where they had one. Uh, but if they stay out of the box and then the penalty kill can some build some momentum there, then I think the blues are going to ultimately end up being fine. But the penalty kill can, not be I would say below league average because if it is I'm not sure they have the scoring to make up for those kind of issues and not only that but also their defense is still has had struggles five on five this year as we've seen I think we've learned that this team struggles playing catch-up hockey that's what they were doing in that eight game losing streak and in this three game win streak they haven't been doing that they can hold on to leads and we got a text from the 980 saying I don't feel like they're back but the last two games were very impressive I feel like they're just barely hanging on to the win in Vegas and then the win in Colorado Jordan Bennington played his butt off otherwise that game would have been a blowout so I'm not going to say they're back I know it's how you win but that the I know it's not how you win but it's that you win I get that sentiment, and you're right. It doesn't look good. The Vegas one was the part where it's like, ah, man, to get out shot 22 to 5, that's not a good way to hold on to a victory. But that's why I felt last night was an improvement. And look, when you got a goaltender playing as well as Jordan Bennington is, you can afford those games. That's what's going to happen when you're leading. The key when you're up by a goal is to add on to that. And the Blues had their opportunity to add on to it, and they got those chances which, to me, provides some confidence that this team is back to the ways that they were playing. We'll talk about Jordan Bennington coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, and we'll also talk about the line chemistry, which is also giving both Tanner and I some confidence about this Blues team after their victory last night over Colorado. Blues will be back at it Wednesday night to wrap up the road trip with the moms on the trip. 1-0. Mom magic, T-Bone. By the way, Baruby at the end with his little press conference, like I told you they'd win, the wink at the camera, chef's kiss. Baruby, Baruby knows Baruby knows what's up. Uh, we'll get into uh, their next matchup. Blues taking on the Blackhawks Wednesday night, 6.30 puck drop, 5.30 pregame here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got NFL quick hitters and what the hell happened last night in Monday Night Football. But coming up next, is there any pressure on this Cardinals front office to make a splash this offseason. I know we have these conversations, but I wonder if this season's different. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think when you look at the makeup of the team, you got two cornerstone players that are in the prime or either barely on the other side of it, 
Uh, I say that about a guy who's going to win the Most Valuable Player Award, and I only say that because of age. And then you have some other guys who are really starting to step up and, and really make contributions. You know, I, I think if you're ever going to do it, this would probably be it. Um, because, you know, in the past, free agent signings have not been that good for the yeah. card. So, you know, they've been really good at making good trades. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think you've got a lot of different options here with him as far as how he lengthens your lineup. Now, if you can make a trade, get Sean Murphy as your catcher, uh, I think you'd have a good start on a pretty good lineup that you can go out and feel comfortable about 2023. All right. I like that offseason. Yeah. Sean Murphy, Trey Turner. Who says no to those, right? Probably Bill DeWitt also. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. That was Mike Claiborne from the opening drive earlier today. And, of course, Claibs is talking about the offseason where – the Cardinals, we've heard, are going to have money to spend, and then we've heard that they don't have money to spend because the payroll that we thought was going up was going towards Adam Wainwright's deferred payments and Nolan Arenado's money. So you're getting a lot of mixed messages. But it comes back to the point of what we've discussed already this this year where you ask the question, should the Cardinals go out there and sign one of these shortstop, one of these big bats? And you ask that with a follow-up of, is there going to be pressure on the Cardinals front office this offseason to make a splash? And every time I hear that question, you you automatically go to, well, you can't have pressure on yourself if you're not going to get fired. And John Mosellock's about as safe as they come when it turns to the Cardinals making the postseason once again, when it comes to the payroll going up and a lot of people going to the game. So, no, I don't think that the front office is under pressure to make a big splash. And Derek Gould was asked this in his chat yesterday. And Derek said, no more so than usual. There should be, it seems, but I don't get the sense that there is. Not sure where that would come from, honestly. Fans are buying tickets. Ownership is happy with the results. But my side thought with this, T-Bone, is you don't have the same schedule this year that you've had in the past. You can sit there and say, well, the Central's pretty easy to win like it is every year because the Brewers are your only competition and then the Reds and the Pirates are just going to be awful. But you're playing a lot of these other teams more in the National League this season. You're seeing teams in the American League this season. Like, I think the the front office is going to get a taste of the other competition around Major League Baseball that isn't just in the playoffs. So I do think that that should add, not pressure, because pressure... Pressure's not the right word, but I do think that should add some urgency to this offseason to where they say, yeah, we should really be looking deeper into these bats that are available to us. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you that it shouldn't be maybe pressure shouldn't be the right word because I agree. There's probably not pressure. When I think pressure, it's basically, hey, you need to win now because your job's on the line. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, they Mo's had a very successful tenure here in St. Louis, but I do think there needs to be some urgency shown from the front office to go make just a splash. Uh, and I don't think it needs to be crazy where it's like, go get a shortstop, go trade for a big-time catcher, give up prospects, go sign an ace, go sign a high-end reliever. I think you need to do probably two of those things, in my opinion, to put yourself in a really good position. And for me, it comes down to you got. They definitely have to share up the catcher position. We all know that. That yeah, that one's it's number easy. one priority. And then I think the other one is, unless it's Wilson Contreras probably brought in at the catcher position, then they also need to look to add an impact bat because I think you're to the point now where you have two guys in their primes and Paul Goldschmidt who's going to win NL MVP, Nolan Arnado who's going to finish probably third if I had to guess. He'll definitely be top five. Should be top three. 
And then you've got a, a youth movement that is coming up through your system. You saw last night, Brennan Donovan finished third in NL Rookie of the Year. Nolan Gorman, they're still very high on. Juan Yepes was very good. Andre Pallante as a pitcher was a big surprise. And you've got Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn on the way. I think it's now time that they're show, they show some urgency and go and add that other big bat to this lineup to help to make it as deep as possible, especially especially if Jordan Walker ends up hitting and becomes the superstar that they think he's going to be. And I get it to where they could say, well, we we can wait a year and see what Walker looks like. Maybe he becomes the third impact bat. I think you should show some urgency and go get some certainty and have that third impact bat ready. And then if Walker develops into the superstar you think he is, then you've got four legitimate guys in your lineup. And it's as deep as potentially, I'm not going to say it is going to be as deep as the Houston Astros, but it could look somewhat similar to what the Houston Astros have. And I get it that all their guys are homegrown, but you got to try and find your way to get up to that third impact bat, and hopefully someone comes along and becomes the fourth. And I know that people say, well, they need starting pitching. Well, I just don't think there's the guys on the market. We'll talk about that a little later on, but I don't think there's guys on the market that make sense for them this year. I think there's guys that do make sense. Trey Turner's one of them that you heard Claves mention in the uh, return here. I think he's a perfect Cardinal. Good defense, can be an impact bat for you, has some speed in his game, and can steal some bases, which will be key with the bases increasing in size. Uh, Xander Bogarts makes a lot of sense for this team because they can use a bat like him. Honestly, I still think Brandon Immel makes sense for this team, but I think there should be some urgency shown from the front office this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and a lot of this is because of what you have already on your roster in Arenado and Goldschmidt and where you finished this past season. I mean, I, I know I... I kind of am negative, Nancy, about it, but you did finish in that competition with the Phillies. That blow up in the ninth doesn't happen. We might be talking about something different this season. So I do think this is one of those moments to look at the offseason and say, like, now's the time to do it. And, like, you're getting a second chance. You're getting these options for you. And, yeah, I think Trey Turner is probably the perfect Cardinal for this team. Klaibs is right with that. Are you willing to get into that bidding war? Are you willing to go that to that puke point that you don't want to go with a shortstop that you might not need? Probably not, but this is one of those moments, and like Claves mentioned, this might be the offseason to do it when you look at what you have on your roster because how rare is it to have this much talent at once on your team? Yeah, and I, I think the other part of it, for me at least in terms of looking at it from an urgency standpoint, and you kind of hinted at there with the Phillies, and we talked about this yesterday, is – Look at the teams that are kind of that were in the playoff field. They're all looking to get better. We talked about the Dodgers are going to be in on the highest high end starting pitchers. They're connected to, I believe, Carlos Correa. The Phillies are connected to Xander Bogarts. Uh, you've got the Braves who are, could be in on that shortstop market. They yeah, may bring back Dansby Swanson. And Xander Bogarts has been tied to them also. So, like all these teams that were in the playoffs last year are only going to look to improve and get better. And you just can't start to kind of sit pat and kind of have a measly offseason where it's, we're making these small incremental improvements and we're going to throw the numbers at it, in my opinion. We'll see if that's how we're going to f- fix this offense or fix this team and keep up with those guys. No, because you can't afford to lag behind. And I get it that people would say, well, they're going to easily win the NL Central. Again, I still don't think that's good enough. I, I mentioned this the moment they got bounced in the playoffs that I think now the goal should be to become a top two team in the National League. And that doesn't mean you have to spend crazy money to where you've got to be a top five spender in Major League Baseball, but you should be willing to throw a couple, not a couple, but you should be willing to throw some more money in on the problem see if you can fix your offense or get an ace that can be a legit guy, legitimate guy to help your rotation and fix some of your problems that you have instead of just saying, okay, let's throw the numbers at it because we've seen them try it in the past and avoid the superstars and the guys that are guarantees 
and it just doesn't work out. Well, and the other factor into this, too, I saw, I think it was either Jim Bowden or Jeff Passan that put it out, but like the Chicago Cubs are reportedly in on the shortstop market. And I know Chicago was not good last season, but maybe they improve a little bit more. So it, it is the uh, the time to do some urgency with this offseason. If it's not Trey Turner and it's not one of the shortstops, I got a bat for you. Yeah. I got a lefty. I got a power people, lefty to back up Goldie and Arenado. I've heard people say we could use a lefty. Uh, uh, this this bat is the protection that you're asking for. He had oh, an incredible that, season last is this year. Is that outfielder from Japan? No, no, it's not him. It's oh. not Anthony Rizzo. It's not Josh Bell. Hmm. How about some Matt Carpenter? How about some salsa? Oh. Did you see this from uh, from Ken Rosenthal? Just now, spitballing? Ken Rosenthal's just spitballing out here. But he says, my own speculation and nothing that I've heard specifically, but Matt Carpenter's deep and enduring connections to the Cardinals would seem to make a potential reunion feasible. He was roommates in rookie ball with Ali Marmal. His transformation last season included a visit to the Marucci's Baseball Performance Lab with Cardinal stars Goldschmidt and Arenado, and his hitting coach is now his former teammate, Matt Holliday. Our bench coach is now Matt Holliday. Matt Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, what if that's the bat to fix this team? You know, it'd be an interesting reunion. No, it would not be an interesting reunion. It would re- reunion. be an interesting this, this, reunion. This, this, would, this would scream, we're trying to do what we just did with Albert Pujols with another former Cardinal player. And I, That's fine. I don't think, like, they've already made the tough decision to move on. I don't think they would go down this path once again. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I fall on it, too, is because they just... Now, had it been, like five to ten years like it was with Albert where it was a decade plus, then, I, can I, then I could kind of understand yeah. the intrigue of a possible reunion, especially a guy that had a resurgence in his career where he hit 305 and had an OPS above 1,100. So, like, I would get it then. But because you just moved on from him two years ago, I'm not sure that they will look at this and say, yeah, we need to bring in this lefty to our lineup. Because I think I think you've got lefties in your lineup, and that's why I, I don't buy into the notion that they need to go sign a left-handed bat because – I think you can rely, not rely, but I think you can try and gamble on Nolan Gorman potentially to be your DH bat as long as you make an addition elsewhere. And also you've got Donovan that can kind of fill that role for you. I I just don't see a fit for Matt Carpenter. And again, it comes back to the conversation when we talked about Rizzo and Josh Bell, um, I think it was yesterday if I remember correctly, where I don't think the Cardinals would be willing to sign one of those guys, including Matt Carpenter in this conversation, because what's his position essentially just DH. They want more yeah. versatility, more flexibility. Now that there's no shift, he can't hide Matt Carpenter at second base. Yeah, and I, I I do think there's a little bit of Yankee Stadium inflation that went into Matt Carpenter's success last season, and that's not to take away from what he did. It was an awesome season. It was great to see him back, but I, I don't... I, I am not the guy that says, oh, don't block this player if the bat's worth it, but I just don't know if Matt Carpenter answers that uh, offensive question. I think that's who we continue to talk about, and if it's not those guys, then just stick with what you've got because going out and signing a Matt Carpenter or a Josh Bell or a Jock Peterson, I just think that does nothing to your roster in terms of improvement. So we'll talk more Cardinals uh, in the 12 o'clock hour. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got questions and answers. You send us your questions to our Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Well, coming up next, though, we'll hit our NFL quick hitters, including a Monday night football game that nobody expected this outcome. Next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
comes to a conclusion with the best game of the week, T-Bone. The best game of the week. Bills and Vikings, hold my beer. Commanders and Eagles. The upset occurred. Washington I to tell you. wins it in Philly, 32-21. to 21, And the former Battle Hawks QB leads the way in tight Taylor Heineke. What is that going to give me a caca or anything, man? Oh, man. He's now a commander. <laughs> what? What did we what did we watch last night? Like I, you all you always anytime you get a division battle, you always kind of anticipate something to go haywire. But that outcome, I don't think anybody saw coming. Like Washington's defense, they were better than what I anticipated them to be in that game and and Philadelphia's defense, they just they did exactly what the Cowboys did in their game against the Packers. Like, they just disappeared in what I thought was the best defense in the National Football League. I I don't know what I saw last <laughs> night, if I'm being honest with you. You know what it was? They didn't have Jordan Davis. I mean, they did. What was part of it, I think, because I heard, uh, I think it was Aikman said at one point in the first quarter, like, oh, without Jordan Davis, you can see Washington's able to run the ball a little bit better. Who and I was thought? like, wow. <laughs> Alex's guys guy. getting that much credit for why they're struggling? <laughs> no, I think I think at some point the Eagles are going to just have one of those games where it was kind of lay an egg, and with all the hype surrounding them, I didn't think they were going to run the table and be seventeen and zero. And I think Washington now, I can't believe I'm saying this, but now that they have found a solution at quarterback with Taylor Heineke for the year, they're actually a comparable team uh, because they've got weapons on the outside. You got, uh, what's his name? McLaughlin. That's out there on mm-hmm. wide receiver. He's pretty good. The I'm running McLaren. backs have played pretty, or, yeah, McLaren, the running backs have played really well uh, so far this year. And that defense, I think the defense is better than what it has shown. And they're getting ready to get Chase Young back too. I saw this morning yeah. that they're going to activate him off of IR. So I, I think Washington was better is better than we thought. I'm not saying they're like a team that's going to go on a run in the NFC, but I think they showed you, hey, we're capable of being a playoff team after that win yesterday. I think we saw the recipe on how to stop Philadelphia. To stop the run game. I mean, you had 94 combined rushing yards from four, three running backs and your quarterback. Jalen Hurts only ran for 28 yards. Miles Sanders had the most with 54. Like that's that's how Philadelphia wins with defense in their running game. And you found a way to stop that. Now, the other thing is they lost Dallas Goddard in that game. And I think they said afterwards that he's probably going to miss some significant time. And I know he's not all of their offense. They still got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. But still, I mean, that's a pretty significant piece for Jalen Hurts' offense when you lose that tight end and how well he's played this season. Yeah, when you lose that tight end, especially on an offense like that where you can basically – because I, I see uh, Komet, who's been picking up for the Bears. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of what they'll use Goddard for, where it's kind of that play action coming out on that boot, and then you've got the tight end wide open right there. Some teams use it with their wide receiver. Eagles like to do it with Goddard. I'll be interested to see how they adjust on that. I do think that is going to be a big injury, though, for them. So, so who's the best team in the NFC now? Uh, because now you got level playing field. You got the Cowboys that lost to, uh, and I know Cowboys are six and three, and the and the Eagles are eight and one. But the Cowboys lose to the Packers. The Eagles lose to Washington. Seattle loses their game to Tampa Bay. The only team I think that would could be considered the best team now is it the Minnesota Vikings? Is it Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings as the best team in the national or in the NFC? I still think it's the Eagles. I I do. I I know they lost last night, but I think that. When you look at the NFC, I think it comes down to them, Minnesota, Dallas. I I still I know they're sitting in the last wild card spot right now. I do think San Francisco will move their way up into this discussion by the time we so. end the year. I do. They've got enough weapons now to where they can yeah. kind of mask Jimmy G's problems. 
Um, but I, I think that Philadelphia is still the best team. I think Jalen Hurts, I, for whatever reason, trust him a little bit more than Kirk Cousins. They're kind of on the even playing field right now. They've got more, they got weapons on that team. And I think the biggest difference for me is they've got more of a front seven presence on their defense than Minnesota. It's where I would say I would lean towards Philadelphia, but I do think Minnesota is right there in that conversation, but I still would take Philadelphia as the best. So team. that game last night, Hurts went 17 for 26 at two touchdowns, one interception. And as I mentioned, he rushed for 28 yards, did rush for a touchdown. Is he, did he hurt, pun intended here, did he hurt his MVP chances last night? Absolutely. Yeah. When you lay an egg against so who's Washington, the, is it, is it now? I think it's Patrick Mahomes. Really? Yeah. I, Mahomes has been really good this season. Man, um, that's wild because I don't even think, I, I think in some people, they wouldn't even, like, would they get to Tua before Patrick Mahomes? No, I don't think so. Because Tua's missed some time. Yeah. Mahomes hasn't. Yeah, but and look at what Allen, they did when they missed time. It's fair. I, I get it. Um, and then Allen's played like crap the last three games. So I, yeah, he has. I don't think that he, I think he's really fallen out of the conversation. I think it's now become Patrick Mahomes to lose. I mean, he's almost at 3000 passing yards. He's completed 67% of his passes. He's thrown 25 touchdowns. He's only thrown seven interceptions. So I think Mahomes is the favorite. And I think Hertz, I still think he was probably more of a long shot, but he definitely hurt his chances last night when he go and lay an egg against the Washington Commanders. And the reason also that I would lean towards Philadelphia over Minnesota is because Hurts provides the run game with his legs over Kirk Cousins, who's just a pocket passer. Yeah. Let's play a game of make or miss the playoffs real quick. Make or miss San Francisco 49ers. Second place in the NFC West at a 5-4 and four record. I'm saying make. I, I think... Like I said earlier, I think they're going to be a team that by the time we end the regular season, we're talking about them as a threat to win the NFC. Washington Commanders, make or miss, 5-5, five five, fourth in the NFC East. They're basically, what, a game behind the Cowboys in the NFC East? Uh, two behind two games. Dallas, one behind San Francisco for that last wildcard spot right now. I'm going to say miss. I, I think they remain in the fight like they are right now. But I don't know if I would trust Taylor Heineke enough to get you into the playoffs. So I'm going to say miss. L.A. Chargers, five and four, second in the AFC West. But you have, uh, well, the Broncos ain't catching them. But you also have to deal with the Bengals who are right behind you. Jeff Saturday's Colts, four, five, and one. Huh? Yeah, they stink. You got the Patriots also to worry about at five and four with that other wild card spot. I, I think Chargers are a make. Um, I know they're dealing with injuries that might you think the Patriots miss them? get healthier. Yeah, I, I don't trust the Patriots. I think when you look at the playoff fields as they are right now, the only one that I would say is going to change is probably the AFC. Like, you look at that NFC playoff field right now, I think that's what it's probably going to look like. I think seeding maybe moves around a little bit, but yeah. I think that's what that playoff field is going to look like where you've got Eagles, Vikings, Seahawks, Bucks, Giants, Cowboys, 49ers. I think all those teams will end up staying in the playoffs. When I look at the AFC, I think the Chargers are going to make it, and I still think the Bengals are going to make it. I don't think the Patriots are going to remain what in a playoff spot. I think the Bills will make it. Yeah. I, I think they will. They're in a wild card right now. I, I mean, they're six and three, but they're in a wild card. Josh Allen's too talented to allow the Bills to fall out of a playoff spot. So if you fall out of a playoff spot and the Jets make the playoffs, and look, yeah. no I, dis- I think the Jets fall off. That's really? who I think the See, other team is. I, I was actually going to say no disrespect to the Jets because their defense has been really fun to watch this season. Like they've drafted really well, but I mean they're sitting above the Buffalo Bills. I think that. Zach Wilson becomes a problem when they miss the playoffs. Like we talked about this. It's probably been two or three weeks. 
where you watch Zach Wilson before he throws the ball, you're like, wow, that looks like Mahomes. Look at him. He's dodging. He's weaving. He's like a little water bug out there. Then he throws the ball. You go, what the hell is that to? That's the other team. That's why I don't think the Jets are a playoff team. It's going to be fun. So week 10 wraps up. Week 11 uh, starts up on Thursday, which uh, who's Thursday night football? Is is Al Michaels actually have a, a decent game to call this week? Uh, depends on how you feel about the team that's hosting. The Titans are involved. Oh, yeah, you know, it's Green Titans? Bay. Yeah, they're at Green Bay. Okay, I think that's probably... You know what? Al Michaels should enjoy that one. <laughs> Green know. Bay's coming off a nice victory over Dallas. Yeah, you're right. He's probably going to be miserable as well. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, is this the best version of Jordan Bennington that we have seen since blank? We'll get into that. But coming up next, questions and answers. You could text us at 65780, our Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to your questions next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Comfort Service text line 65780 as we get to your questions here on BKN Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, Alex Ferrario. Dan McLaughlin's going to join us coming up at 1230. More likely to happen at 1215 and we'll get back into the blues coming up in 10 minutes or so. But now let's get to some of your questions on that Air Comfort Service text line and we'll start with this. It's our daily would you make this trade uh, question T-Bone. Let's start here. Love it. Would you be willing to trade Gorman win or other young talent including pitching for sean murphy well i wouldn't do win. Uh, yeah, i was gonna say i'm not trading win win's probably untouchable this offseason i don't know if he's untouchable but i gotta get no, some I, really good talent if i'm gonna trade win I, say, I would put him at untouchable just because like i'm not sure who would be on the market if mike trout became available you'd say wins untouchable yeah really yeah i don't trout scares me with his back issue and that big contract um I Gorman's the one that I that keeps being brought up in these Murphy trades conversations. I kind of am hesitant to be willing to move Nolan Gorman because I still have high hopes for Nolan Gorman as being a guy that can be a everyday DH or maybe an everyday second baseman for you. And it can be a power handed left hitting bat that hits you about 30 home runs a year. So I'm hesitant to move him for a Sean Murphy, who's a good offensive player. But do I really want to give up someone that has 30 home run potential for a catcher that's good defensively and is probably going to hit like sixth in your order? I'm kind of hesitant to do that. So I would say if you can get build a deal around where Gorman's not involved, which I'm not sure is possible, then I would be more willing to do it. Like I think you can move uh, Alec Burleson or Lars Newtbar. I think one of those young pitchers of Graceffo or um, who's the one I'm drawing a blank on, McGreevy, one of those two you could include in the package. Tinkins, I'd say they probably wouldn't want to do, but I think you can still build a package around not including Nolan Gorman. Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to trading Nolan Gorman, and I know I'm probably in the minority because a lot of people feel the way that Tanner does of you got possibly a Kyle Schorber. Um, My only question is if you sign Sean Murphy or you trade for Sean Murphy and Gorman's in that package, who's your left-handed bat? Because you're probably going to have to go sign one. Um, and I, I mean, people would say Lars Nupar, but I don't know if Lars Nupar has the power as projected as Nolan Gorman does. Yeah. So who's your lefty? Because they obviously have just stated that they need a lefty presence in their lineup and you're getting a, a catcher who's a righty. So that would be my only question. So yeah, I probably, I would probably consider Nolan Gorman, 
but I'm going to have to find out who that lefty is going to be on the flip side if I trade him away. And the other thing, and I, Derek Gould brought this up in his chat yesterday, and it, I think I've said this before where Sean Murphy just screams like his numbers on paper are good, but then like when you bring him in and you give a bunch of assets, it just doesn't pan out to the level you were thinking. And I think Derek Gould brought up, it kind of reminds him of when the Cardinals were interested in the Adam Eaton deal, and they were shocked by how much it cost because so many teams had interest. And Eaton was 28, and that's how old Murphy's going to be this year. Eaton was traded to Washington in the four years that he was there. He ended up having, was only 5% above league average. Yeah. Like, he was still a good player for him, but he wasn't at probably what it costs to go and acquire him. And that's my fear with going and trading for Sean Murphy as an example. Uh, from the 314, guys, what's your interest level in A.J. Pollock? Uh, is he a free agent? I, I know that they didn't offer him an option or they opted out with Pollock, who played with the White Sox this past season. I mean, looking at his numbers, yeah, I have no his OPS plus is 91. So, yeah, I'm, I'm out on it. Plus, he's a righty. I, I'd be out on this one. Plus, I think he's got injury history as well. So uh, from the 618, guys, Teoscar Hernandez continues to be in the news would you do a trade that included Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Gorman for the outfielder? So if, if you missed it, we talked about this last week, but uh, Morosi, uh, John Morosi of MLB Network put this out a couple of hour goes, hours ago. He said, discussed possible Teoscar Hernandez for Chris Flexen trade on MLB Network. Both are eligible for free agents after 2023 season. Uh, Flexen is with the, the Mariners. And he was uh, he was he was pitching in Korea. So obviously, if you're making that trade, Toronto's looking for pitching. I don't I don't know if they would make the trade for Hernandez for Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Gorman. If they're discussing a trade elsewhere for a pitcher, sounds like you're going to have to give up some type of pitching for it. Maybe there's a way to make that deal and then also trade away one of the bats to get Sean Murphy. I'm not sure how kind of how that goes. Yeah, I. I would have interest in if the Cardinals were to look at the Teoscar Hernandez. I said, again, he's a guy that I think you would be willing to kind of bet on if you made the move. But again, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So if you bring him in, you're bringing him in and also hoping that you can sign him to a contract extension. Would I be willing to do that to move Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Gorman? Seems kind of like a steep price because you're giving up so much control on both guys compared to Hernandez, who's only got one year left before he hits free agency. But I think that is kind of a guy that the Cardinals would have discussions about of, okay, if we're going to acquire an outfielder, Teoscar Hernandez, probably one of the best guys that we could go get because the free agent market outside of Judge is good, but it's not great and it's not an impact bat. Hernandez can play as an impact bat for you. From the 636, guys, I know you talked about pressure from the front offer on the front office regarding the offseason. How much pressure is added if Chicago is aggressive this offseason? They've been, they've been connected to Carlos Correa. They've been connected to a couple of different big names. I don't think a lot because the Cardinals typically don't operate on, um, oh boy, we need to make a panic move because our division's doing this. Like That's kind of what you're seeing from the, it's not really panic move. But how are the Padres trying to keep up with the Dodgers? They're trying to increase their payroll, and they're doing it, and they're basically playing uh, MLB The Show and doing their moves, where they're giving up a ton of assets to go and get superstars to try and keep pace with the Dodgers. Cardinals don't operate like that. And honestly, unless the Cubs make like four splashes, I just think they're too thin that even if they bring in someone like, I'll say Carlos Correa, for example, the best shortstop on the market, arguably the best free agent on the market outside of Aaron Judge, so maybe second best free agent. 
if they were to acquire him, I'm not sure how much he truly tips the scales because like it'll make the Cubs better. But are they at the point where they can contend with you? They're, they don't have any pitching. Really, all their other offensive pieces are fine. They're not great. So I don't think no matter what the Cubs do, I don't think it puts that much pressure on them. Final one from the 314. Guys, how impressed have you been from the players that have come up from the American Hockey League for the Blues in this last stretch? So they're talking about Alexandrov, Josh Levo, and I'll throw in Callie Rosen's name. I know he wasn't in the AHL, but he's the seventh defenseman. I've been... I've been massively impressed by Callie Rosen's performance in these last three games. We talk about the, talked about this a little bit yesterday, but once again, last night, contributing offensively, playing very sound defensively. They've got a reliable third pairing right now, and I would imagine he's going to rotate in when Robert Bortuzzo uh, gets healthy. Um, Nikita Alexandrov, I think he's been fine. I, I, you know, he's been noticeable in the physicality, and the fourth line has been impactful. He's not scoring goals, but I don't really know if Craig Bruby wants him to score goals right now. They want him to play that trustworthy and predictable presence that he wants from the fourth line uh, and Josh Levo. I think Josh Levo has probably been the most impactful since, uh, since he's been recalled. Yeah. I, I think Levo has been definitely impactful since he's been recalled. He's been impressive in his handful of games. And we kind of talked about this yesterday, how he's been like the perfect third winger on that line with Ryan O'Reilly. We had Ryan O'Reilly, Brandon Sodden, and you didn't know who else was going to be on that line. And when they moved Levo up there, I was skeptical. Is that really the guy that's going to fix the problems that that line's having? And he has been. He's been very effective with him. And to your point on Alexandrov, he's noticeable when he's out there, and he's not out there a whole lot being on that fourth line, but he's playing pretty well with uh, Chari and uh, who's the other one I'm drawing? Oh, Pitlick. Pitlick, Pitlick. yeah. I, th- I think they've played well together on that line. So, yeah, I think the AHL guys have been pretty impressive. Yeah, if players. I were to take a guess tomorrow night, you'll see Thomas Grice in between the pipes because it's a back-to-back. Bennington's going to play against Washington, um, and you'll probably see that fourth line rotate out with Nathan Walker and Torpchenko in, uh, mostly because all of the moms are on that trip, and I would imagine Burbies want to get those guys in if their moms are there watching. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up at 15 minutes, we will get to more likely to happen. You send us your scenarios, and we'll tell you which is more likely to happen. It's coming up in 15 minutes, but coming up next, Jordan Bennington, he's on a heater this season. This is the best version we've seen since blank. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The wheel and into the middle. Ranton and out of car. Back to McKinnon. What a save, Bennington. Here they come again. Ranton and shooting. Bennington. Big save. They bring it in. They go to shoot it on. Bennington will make the save. The puck stays loose. Wide open net. Bennington scrambles to keep it out. He flips over onto his stomach and somehow Hoshik like manages to keep that puck away from the goal line. Unbelievable. Abs bring it off the wall now. Near wing shooting Bennington. Huge save coming across the mouth of the goal and denied a wide open shot. Jordan Bennington just continues to do every night that he is in between the pipes, what he's done all season long, and that's keep his team in the hockey game. And with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario, that, of course, was audio from last night's 3-2 winner over the Colorado Avalanche, where Jordan Bennington stopped 45 of 47 shots from Colorado, including that 6-on-3 power play with a minute to go 
in regulation to hold on to the victory. And look, Jordan Bennington this season, his numbers do not back up how he has played. He's got a 904 save percentage with a 307 goals against average, and he's six and five overall. But in his last three games, this has been his save percentage. 900 against San Jose, 944 against Vegas, 957 against Colorado. And you could go four if you go back to that loss to the Boston Bruins where he had a 919 save percentage. I, I put this out last night, and I've already seen a couple of people uh, talk to me about Greg Wyshynski kind of uh, getting back at me. And look, Greg's Greg is uh, one of the best. I love talking with Greg. Greg is up for his p- opinion however he wants to. But I said last night on the post game that if you take out that Montreal Canadiens game, the Kings game, and the Islanders game, and I know you can't exclude games from a goaltender because that's the whole point. Your goaltender's got to make the saves when he makes the saves, right? But I think we all can agree. If anybody watched those three games, you ask anybody, ask Darren Pang, ask Joe Vitale, and I know they're Blues broadcasters, but if you watch that game from start to finish, he was out to dry by his defense. Backdoor tap-ins, shots all over the place. It was not Jordan Bennington. You exclude those three games. This season, he would be sitting at 6-2, and two, and his save percentage would be 935, which would be third best in the NHL. I know Jordan Bennington has an inconsistent pass. I know that Jordan Bennington in the last few seasons is unre- unpredictable in between the pipes. But you're getting a different Jordan Bennington this season Every single game that he has been in, he's given his chance to win or given his team a chance to win. And honestly, T-Bone, I think you'd probably have to go back regular season version of Jordan Biddington. You'd probably have to go back to that all-star season prior to the COVID pandemic lockdown. Yeah, I I think Bennington's been... Uh, really good this year. I think he's the only reason that the Blues have as many wins as they do because especially early on, he was being peppered with a ton of shots. And I get it that you've, you mentioned those three games. I agree with you. That's where the defense was allowing all those backdoor tap-ins. Biddington's numbers are low because of those blow-up games that the defense had, not not Jordan Biddington. There were times last year where I could look at a game and I could go, yeah, Biddington's got to make that save. Biddington's on a two-on-one, he's cheating over and he gets beat. That can't happen. Well, this year he hasn't really done that. I think there's maybe been like one or two goals at most that I've looked back on and said, oh, man, Bennington's probably got to have that one. The rest are the ones where it's like, yeah, I don't know how Bennington's supposed to save that because it is just the backdoor tap in. I agree with you. I think Bennington looks like he's back to that kind of uh, all-star form that we saw in the regular season coming off of that cup run where you thought, man, not because that was the big question on Bennington was, can Bennington repeat that in a full season? And he had the great start. And then, of course, then you had the pandemic and he had the bubble season. And then everything's just kind of been a roller coaster with Jordan Bennington. He looks locked in this year. He looks like a guy that is going to not only just maintain the job, number one job and not have to look back behind him at like Billy Husa like he did last year. I, I think he's by far been maybe the best player on the St. Louis Blues so far this season, even though his numbers don't represent that. Yeah, by far he has been. Like, there's no comparison to this. And this was the stat that I used last night. So I mentioned earlier that they were 3-0, and now 4-0, and going into the third period uh, with a lead. This season, in four games where he has gone into the third period with a lead, Jordan Bennington has a 965 save percentage. That's 55 out of 57 uh, saves that he has made. Now, you could go back and look at some of those games that they lost, um, and you obviously it's going to be skewed statistics. But like I'm looking at when the team is playing well around him, how good he truly is. Last night, he stopped 36 of 37, um, and 
or I'm sorry, 45 of 47, but he stopped all six of the high danger scoring chances. And then of course the big saves that he made on the penalty kill, he's given your team the chance to win. And Joe Vitale mentioned something in the middle of that losing streak. And it was on our pregame show and I heard him say it. And I originally thought, man, like I am the biggest Jordan Bennington backer, but people that hear this, they're going to laugh at his statement, but listen to what he said and then take into consideration what he's done with this season. And then I want to hear your response. The number one reason why they are going to not only pull out of this, but have a great season. And I do still think we're destined for a playoff push here. <laughs> if I had one game to win, just one, to me, it's Vasilevsky or Jordan Bennington. Wow. I know that sounds crazy, but I look at how poor this team's been in front of them. I look how shaky they've been. I look how fragile they've been. And this is a goaltender that is still making some superior saves. I sat and I talked to Jordan probably this morning for about 10 minutes. You want to talk about a kid that's just calm. He's collected. He's confident. I know the team's not doing well, but he's feeling good about his game. Yeah. He, he eludes this kind of positivity. And, and, again, you look at all the goals he's let in. He's let in a handful so far lately. But I'm talking backdoor tappings, point blank in front. No one's picking up a stick in front. I mean, so many of these goals are going – they would go by any goalie. So my point is this. If I had one game to win, I still, to me, the top two guys in the league right now are Vasilevsky and, and Jordan Bennington. So when you have a good goalie and, and you're dealing with some of the hiccups the Blues are, to me, big problems are goaltender problems. That right there. And, look, you can agree however you want of looking at him as a top goaltender or saying that there are plenty of other guys I'd rather him in a big situation. But look at last postseason – and this year so far, like he has came, he has come up big for his team in every situation, but it's that last part that he mentioned of if you have a goaltender problem, you got a massive problem on your team. And we saw that last season, somebody texted in and said, I think Bennett Bennington benefited from having Huso last year. He always talked about having the chip on his shoulder. And I think he can see how fast he can lose his job. I actually think it's the opposite of that. I think Bennington benefits from not having a goaltender that could take time away from him. I think Bennington wants to be the number one guy. He knew he was the number one guy in 2018-19. He knew it was the number one guy in 2019-2020. Then you've got Ville Husso there. Then you're thinking, all right, I'm going to lose my time. And he talked about this on the athletics piece with Jeremy Rutherford that I had to find a different motivation piece moving forward. Whatever he found, that's a different goaltender right now. And I tend to side with Joey and the fact of if I need a big time save or a big time game, Jordan Bennington might be that guy from what we've seen in recent history. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely up there. I, I definitely would take Vasilevsky first just because he's the best goalie in the league. hundred percent agree with you. And it's not it's not close in my opinion. But I think Bennington's definitely top five, maybe in that top two range when you look at it because of the way he's playing right now. I agree with you. He looks like that guy that you expect him to be, why they gave him the big contract when they did. And we've seen him time after time in the playoffs show up, not just in the cup run. Last year we talked about it. Maybe the Blues win that series over the Colorado Avalanche if he doesn't get hurt. He had found his form again in the playoffs. So he has the do I look nervous kind of vibe yeah. to him again. So I would say he's definitely in the top five where I would have that conversation. I, I don't know if I, I definitely would have him at number one, but once you get into that two through five range, I think it's fair to put Jordan Bennington into that conversation. Uh, he had a 9-12 save percentage in the regular season um, of the COVID year where he played 50 games. It was 30 and 13. That was the year he was the all-star. Um, the next season, the shortened season, he had a 9-10 save percentage and a 265, 9-01 last year, and then, of course, 9-04 this year, but a little bit skewed in that end of things. And, and the other thing that goes into Bennington's play 
is the defense in front of him. And I think we all can agree, like the last three games have been a really good game as a five-man union in front of the goaltender. We mentioned the heat map that you can check out uh, on, on my Twitter page, but why can't, why can't we get this defense all season? Because that defense that we saw last night, the defense that we saw against Vegas, and I know that you out got outshot 22-5 to in the third period, and the defense that you saw in the Edmonton Oilers game, they're keeping the opponent to the outside. They're giving their goaltender, like that just shows you the confidence they have in Bennington. They're keeping the shots to the outside and saying, beat our goaltender from here, otherwise you're going to have to beat me here. Yeah, I... If the defense can play like it has the last two games, and yeah, they were outshot. You mentioned that Vegas game. They were outshot last night, too, I believe. Uh, if you can just provide just solid defense, it doesn't have to be great, just solid, yeah. then you're going to have a chance because of the way Jordan Biddington is playing. I said that yesterday, too. If the defense plays like it had during that eight-game losing streak, yeah, it's going to be a rough season. When you're getting beat back door, there's not a whole lot your goalie can do. And at some points, I think you saw this at, I think it was in the seventh or eighth game of that losing streak. I can't remember exactly which game it was, but I think it was a two-on-one or there was a chance where Bennington was caught leaning and he got beat. Why? Because he's trying to make up for the defense because they're getting beat back door or they're getting out muscled in front of their net and he just can't see shots on goal. If they can just provide solid defense in front of him like they have been the last two games, and yeah, they've been outshot, but I kind of expect that because the Blues are going to take more of that quality over quantity approach on their end of the or on offense from their side so they're going to get out shot in a lot of games but if you can keep that heat map to where it's mostly to the outside and it's not in that high danger area you're going to have a really good chance to win a lot of games especially right now the way that Jordan Bennington's playing I'll leave it with this because we got to get to more likely to happen on the other side if I, we started the segment saying Jordan Bennington is as good as we've seen since dot 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 if you get the Jordan Bennington that performed in the regular season the year that the league shut down because of COVID. I mean, that was a season that I think everybody agrees that if they don't get shut down because of COVID, that team's probably making a push for a Stanley Cup championship. If you're getting that Jordan Bennington for the rest of the season and the defense tightens things up like they have, again, I think you're talking about a top goaltender in the National Hockey League. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Blues will be back at it Wednesday night against the Blackhawks. 6.30 puck drop, 5.30 pregame. Coming up in 15 minutes, Dan McLaughlin joins us. But coming up next, send us your scenarios. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll tell you which one's more likely to happen next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. I can't even sing here. Why not? What just happened? What do you mean? What just happened? What? We're supposed to be doing more likely to happen. It's not Wednesday, man. Read the rundown properly. Don't you, don't you dare treat me like BK in this one. We messed up. It's better to forget it time. Uh, not me. Tanner messed up, I should say. It's better to forget it time. More likely to happen is tomorrow. Bet it or forget it. You send us the scenarios. We'll tell you if we're going to bet it or forget it on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Oh, let's start with this. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals add Trey Turner. Forget it. But man, Blake said it. Ray Gamzinger said it. Yeah. I'm Everybody not. is still putting the Cardinals name on his list. Like I just read Ryan Fagan's piece on the sporting news. He does like a, why they might do it and why they might not do it. Um, I've seen the athletic 
output connections there. I'm getting a lot of mixed messages because Jim Bowden's telling me no way, no how. I'm also hearing Greg Amzinger say it's going to happen. Like, what's happening right now? Well, it's uh, speculation season, and it's really fun to connect the Cardinals. And sometimes I think they're brought up by agents like, hey, uh, what's it going to cost to sign it? Well, just so you know, we've heard from all these teams. Well, I don't doubt that, but I'm not sure they were truly involved. So I'm going to forget this. I I think if they're going to make a move, it's probably the the big move is probably catcher. You sign Contreras or you trade for Sean Murphy or Alejandro Kirk. I'm not sure they're going to sign Trey Turner. If they get a shortstop, it's probably going to be more the Jose Iglesias route, or they look to just add to the outfield. Uh, Bet it or forget it, the Chiefs will have a first-round exit in the playoffs. Let's let's amend this one. Let's say bet it or forget it, the Bills will have a first-round exit in the playoffs. Because Bills are sitting in a wild-card spot right now. Oh, man. I... I said I'm still high on this team, so I think I'm going to say forget it. I, I think they can... Uh, at minimum went around they should i'm looking to see who they're paired up with right now right now they would be at the titans in the first uh, round that's an easy I, bit. although i, I don't I know like buffalo buffalo that couldn't stop the run against minnesota that's true um i'm gonna i'm gonna forget this one i i still think they're a team that can get to the afc championship game if not win the afc yeah i'm gonna forget this one i think the bills are still gonna be a great team i think they gotta first figure out what this injury is with josh allen i don't think you're gonna see a first round exit i think you'll probably see Probably would get set up a second-round matchup with Kansas City between those two. I doubt it'll be an AFC championship, although it should be. So you'll probably get something like that. Um, You'll probably get something like that. So, yeah, I'm going to forget this one. Uh, Bet it or forget it, Brendan Donovan's gold glove as a utility player and rookie of the year votes make him a permanent piece to this Cardinals offense next season. I'll bet it because I don't. I don't think he's getting traded. Um, I don't know if he'll be an everyday player. If that's if that's more the angle of it, I, I don't know if he'll be an everyday player just because he's the utility guy. You kind of rotate him in and out of the lineup. Unless you based don't get on, a shortstop. I mean, then he's playing second base. And I Tommy think, Evans I think playing they're going to try Nolan Gorman at second base because I think he's going to be here. I don't know how um, long that's going to last though. If the shift is going to affect him, that's fair. I think they'll bet at least early on that he's going to make defensive improvements and he won't be a massive liability at second base. So. I, I'll bet this though. I think Brendan Donovan will be probably he'll probably be one of those guys that plays like I don't know. Let's say he plays seven days in a row. You know, he probably plays five of the seven, and each day it's at a different position. One day he's in right, one day he's in left, then he's at second. Maybe gets a little bit at first base to give Goldie a day off. Maybe third to give Arnado a day off. Maybe they sprinkle him at short to be the backup shortstop if DeYoung's on the roster. I don't know, but. <laughs> I, I would say, I, I'd bet this. He's definitely going to be a big key to the Cardinals next season. Yeah, I would bet this too. I, I think you're probably going to see him get more starts than anybody at second base unless they do find a way to get uh, a shortstop. How about this one? You mentioned Paul DeYoung. Bet it or forget it, Paul DeYoung starts for at least 40 games next season for the Cardinals. I'm going to forget it because I still think they're going to move him off the roster. I, I think they're going to look to explore kind of the Dexter Fowler trade route where it's Look, we'll basically pay this guy's salary. You take him off of our our book or take him off of our roster, off our 40 man. So I'm going to forget this. I don't think he starts 40 games for the Cardinals. Yeah, I don't either. I, I think if he's on the team, he's a bench bat. And I think if he's I think I would say I would bet more on Paul DeYoung being elsewhere at the beginning of this season, although I, it's hard to sit there and predict that uh, John Moselock wouldn't just sit there and say, let's try it again. Uh, bet it or forget it. The Blues will trade for a top nine forward before the end of the season. 
man. I, I'm going to... I'm going to bet this because I've heard I live longer if I'm optimistic. And if they're trading that's for a top nine the, forward. That's not what I wanted to hear you but say. If they're, if they're trading for a top nine forward, it means that they're, they've climbed back into that playoff race. And I, I do still think that they, as Some, ugly as it got for eight games. Somebody texted in earlier when we were talking and they said, I don't know, it's going to be too too big of a hole to climb out of. It's November 15th. I mean, if this was December 15th, I probably would say, you know what, maybe. An eighth of the season had gone away. I mean, okay. the, prob- the the thing, though, that I kept looking at and saying, you know what, I need to calm down, was that the teams that were up in the playoff picture were Arizona, Chicago, and it's like, those teams aren't really good. The cream always rises The moment the they learn they're bad, then they'll really fall apart. Um, but I'll I'll bet this. I, I think that at some point they, they, they are shy of a top nine forward. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. And I think it just comes down to, are they still in the race? For the playoffs and if they are I think Army Lad and I'm going to bet on this team so I'm going to bet this. Yeah I, I just the part that I wonder about is are they going to trade a first round pick like as much as I believe that this team is, is coming out on the other end of their struggles and is going to be competitive and Joey said it last night that this is still a playoff team regardless of what people think. So, I, I mean you're you're five points out of the third place spot in the central division um but I also go back to that season where they traded away Paul Sastny. And like they were a good team there, they weren't a great team there. If the Blues kind of fall back to earth, Doug Armstrong is not afraid to say, you know what, we're just going to stick with what we got and trade away our UFAs. And if this draft is as deep as people are making it out to be, and Doug believes that, you know, a first round exit is probably in the cards for this team. And again, I'm not saying that I'm just, I'm, I'm speculating and hypothetically looking down the road. Do you want to trade a first round draft pick for a guy that's potentially a rental in a top nine forward? I don't know if they will do that. I mean, they did it with Nick Letty and they re-signed him. So maybe I think you also have to look at teams that are not going to be in the playoff picture. Like, is there anybody on Anaheim that you'd want to see on this team? I don't think they have a top nine forward that would be available. Vancouver, I've mentioned Bo Horvat, but he's going to cost a lot. Yeah. San Jose's got some guys that might make some sense. I mean, Ottawa's probably not going to trade anybody that's going to make that much of an impact Columbus maybe so I'm going to bet this one I just don't know where they're sitting when we get to that point so we'll talk about the line chemistry and the offense coming up in the one o'clock hour we've got the junk drawer coming up at 15 but coming up next Dan McLaughlin Cardinals broadcaster joins us next year on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario as we head to our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and welcome in Cardinals broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Danny Mack, how are you today, buddy? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing great, Dan. I always told you I always believed in the Blues, 74 and 8. That's that's what the schedule is going to be by the rest of the season. I'll tell you what, we, uh, what was it, three weeks in a row? Was it uh, three weeks in a row? We were coming on the air and I'd say, man, what's going on with your Blues? And, uh, now, after last night, you can relax a little bit. You know, they're playing a little bit better here. Dan, I never faltered. I never wavered once. <laughs> I'm going through an emotional roller coaster, Danny Mac. <laughs> Danny Mac, uh, 
Go ahead. I can imagine the emotions last night were a little little rough uh, towards the end of the third period. Yeah, there may have been some high-pitched squealing going on here in the studio, <laughs> but you know what? We got through it, Dan. Um, Absolutely. S- speaking of excitement, uh, the hot stove, of course, is heating up, Dan. And, you know, I'm just curious, bigger picture here. We saw the report yesterday that, you know, maybe there are some teams that are just backing away from some of these free agents. Like, I think I saw that the Atlanta Braves said that, hey, maybe we're not going to touch this Jacob deGrom deal. Uh, are we going to see a, a lot of money dealt out this offseason now that things are starting to trend back to normal? Well, I, I do think that will be the case. I think when you look at how money was spent pre-pandemic, um, I, I think we'll get back into those type of waters for certain teams. Not all, but I think for certain teams, absolutely. I think big market teams will be back to business. And I, I think now that we've got normal offseason and with the groundwork laid at the GM meetings and then you go into the winter meetings and have a better understanding of, of where teams are, uh, how much money was made this off season, or I'm sorry, this past season going into this off season, and then have an idea of where free agents, um, you know, kind of where the market is going to be set. Then, yeah, I, I think we're going to have that. I, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, here we are, you know, free agency is ready to go. And why aren't people spending money and why aren't guys going? Well, this is how it works. It just, you go to the GM meetings and a lot of times that's where the groundwork is laid to, to make the moves that you're going to see. And when you get to December and you get to uh, the winter meetings, that's when the, the ball starts to, to get rolling. And I think that's what we're going to see in Major League Baseball. Dan, do you believe that Aaron Judge is that first domino to fall? Oh, boy. Um, he's a unique case just because he's a Yankee. Um, and when you talk about the Yankees, they, they swim in waters that most teams don't swim. Um, and I, in my opinion, he's got to be a Yankee. I mean, if, if he doesn't go back to New York, that's going to be tough for them to live down um, because of the season that he had, the fact that he bet on himself, the fact that he turned down over 200, nearly $221 million and he goes out and hits 60-plus home runs and says, there you go, I bet on myself, now you got to pay me. I, I, so I think he's a little different case. It would be tough to base it on him and the fact that he's 31 years old. You know, that, that's the other thing that makes him really, really unique is that I don't think a lot of teams would be willing to go to the, let's say, the, the eight-year mark with him because by the time that, that the end of that contract is, is uh, facing them, He's not in the prime of his career. He's in the prime of his career in years one, two, and three of that deal. And then when you get in the back end of it, it could get ugly. But when you're the Yankees, to me, you've got to you got to spend the money. You got to make sure that he remains a Yankee because he's the face of the franchise. You drafted him, you developed him, and he's got to remain a Yankee and he's got to retire a Yankee. So it's a different case with them. Danny Mac mentioned these big contracts. I, I saw something interesting from Ken Rosenthal on the Athletic uh, earlier this week, and he wondered if. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. Do you think we'll see more teams kind of shift more towards kind of uh, I'll call it NBA style contracts, where it's less years but higher AAV. That way, you don't have yeah. to worry about those bigger those back into those deals hurting more. Well, that's that's Aaron Judge. So let's just take uh, Team X that's not the Yankees, and they say we want Aaron Judge. Um, that's where you go give him a huge AAV for three years and go pay him $50 million a year or higher 
and say, yeah, we'd love to have you. We just don't want you in your years 35, 36, 37, but we'd be willing to, to pay you up front, absolutely. And I, I think now the player's got to be willing to do that, and maybe the player doesn't want to do that. Maybe the player wants the length and is willing to spread that out. But, yes, I, I do think teams would be willing to get more aggressive to try to make it more enticing for, um, for players to go in and, and, and do that. And he would be the perfect example as to why you would do that, to be aggressive and, and get him at the early years. Kind of like when Pujols left St. Louis. I mean, I think the Cardinals would have loved to have given him a high AAV for years four, five, and six of that deal. They just didn't want to go on the back end of it. Now, what makes it unique for teams is that if that's your guy, you're willing to bend. If it's not your guy, it's a different story. We're talking with Cardinals broadcaster Dan McLaughlin here on BK and Ferrario on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Danny Mack, we found out last night that Brendan Donovan doesn't win Rookie of the Year, but he does get third-place votes. I think it was to be expected for how great the two Atlanta Braves players were, but how influential is that to have Brendan Donovan have an offseason where he wins the Gold Glove for Utility Player, he gets Rookie of the Year votes, and you know that he's going to be an impact on this team this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, he had a heck, a heck of a year. I, I didn't anticipate him winning the gold glove, to be quite honest with you. And just to get votes for Rookie of the Year, it's impressive. Um, and it's a testament to the fact that baseball is looking for players like this. There's a value and a premium that's put on guys that can shift around an infield or even play the outfield. I mean, if you can find me a guy that can play center field and shortstop, I'll find you a, a place on my roster for that player. <laughs> Because if you have versatility like that, you're a heck of a player. You're a heck of an athlete. And to do it at the major league level, um, you don't find guys like that. So for him to be able to play at a very, very good level, uh, and, and I mean, you know, he's an above-average defender, clearly, by winning the gold glove. But if you can play third, second, short, first, left, right, center, and he probably could catch, fellas. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would have had to be you know, you, you play that, that kind of uh, defense and, and the, the at-bats that he takes, man, oh, man, he's, he's going to have a heck of a career. I, I kept saying this um, to my broadcast partners. I said, man, we're going to look up, and this guy's going to have a 10-year career. And, and it, it's just going to go by like a blink of an eye, and we're going to say, man, that guy's a good player. He's a winning-type player. And you need to have those kind of players around you um you know he may not be the best player on the team but man he's a winning type player so when somebody gets hurt boom you plug him in somebody needs a night off boom you plug him in and you don't lose a lot you may not be paul goldschmidt but you're not going to lose a ton he's going to give you a very good at bat he's going to give you good defense so uh by him getting the votes it shows you what he's thought of league-wide and that's awfully impressive what he put together this year how impactful is he going to be dan and other left-handed hitters and i think we've talked about this before but you know now it's starting to get more prevalent with all of these lefties available via free agency how impactful do you think that bat is going to be uh when it comes to the uh the ban of shifting this season yeah with the lack of a shift it's huge and i don't think it's getting enough attention the fact that if you're eliminating the shift um, there are left-handed bats now that become prevalent that I think maybe we need to take a harder look at and say they are going to be a better player come next year. Now, teams didn't necessarily shift a lot against Brendan Donovan, and he would try to take advantage of the shift, too. He would hit the other way. So he may not be a great example of that, but there are others that are out there that I'm with you. I, I think you have to look at 
not only what they do offensively, left-handed batters, but then what are we going to see defensively, too? And, and I think that's something we need to look at, too, is putting a premium on guys that can play defense, that do have range, um, and second baseman specifically that can range because they're very good defensively. And that's something now that we have to, to take a harder look at, and it will become something I think that we've forgotten because it was just second nature. You know, if, if you wanted to hide Mike Moustakis at second base, you could because the shift would hide him. Well, you can't do that anymore. You, you've got to put a premium now on guys that can play the position defensively. So that's something to keep in mind. And with that being said, Danny Mack, one of those left-handed bats that I think is going to benefit from the shift being banned is Matt Carpenter. And I saw yesterday in the Athletic, Ken Rosenthal again, he was just spitballing. He wasn't reporting anything, but he was just spitballing. Maybe the Cardinals would consider a reunion with Matt Carpenter. And again, it comes back to also the defense, putting him at second base, can't really hide him anymore without the shift. But do you think the Cardinals may kick the tires on a reunion, maybe have some interest in Matt Carpenter? Well, that's an interesting one. Um I hadn't really thought about it. Now, Ollie and, and Matt Carpenter are very, very close. So that is a, a check in that box of bringing him back. And um, it's not like he you know, burned bridges when he left on either side. The Cardinals didn't, and he didn't. And something he figured out, uh, obviously, in the offseason going into this past year, I think the other thing you'd have to look at, too, is Matt Holiday And, you know, his impact on, on Matt Carpenter which has been really big, uh, certainly was last off season. I haven't given it much thought. They do need a left-handed presence in their lineup. Um, it's certainly something I would think about. I do think, though, that Matt benefited from being out of St. Louis. I think there was pressure on him to live up to the contract the last time he was here. I think he needed a fresh start. I think he needed a fresh set of eyes on him, and I think he benefited from the stadium. Now, you can turn the page on last year and say he figured some things out. Maybe a reunion would be good. It's a big, big ballpark that St. Louis plays in. But, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be something that uh, I maybe would kick the tires on. And if it's not expensive, then why not? It'd, it'd be something that you'd, you'd at least have to explore. I'm not sure they'd go all the way down that road. But certainly it's something that you might explore. There's a lot of positives with that. But uh, would I be shocked if it happened? Maybe not, but, you know, stranger things have happened, obviously, in the game of baseball. Danny Mac, final one from you, and always appreciate the time with us here on BK and Ferrario. How prevalent do you think the uh, bullpen arms are going to be this offseason, and how intense do you think the Cardinals are going to pursue that? I mean, we just saw the contract handed out to uh, Rafael Montero to get that extension with the Houston Astros. Are we going to see a lot of multi-year deals being handed out to these bullpen arms? Well, that's, that's an interesting question because Edwin Diaz got $102 million, and I think GMs may have fell out, out of their chairs when they stopped <laughs> that one. Five years and 102, and I think Montero got, what, $34.7 million, I believe, was his deal with Houston. Um, I, I mean, I've been told this for many, many years. That the hardest predictor for presidents of baseball operations and GMs in the game is is year to year to figure out um, the probability of a guy in a bullpen, you know, the consistency of being good in a bullpen because they pitch so much. There's wear and tear, um, spin rates, all those things go up and down. It's just it's a very tough uh, to predict what a guy is going to do year to year. Now, what I would look at is what, to me, what won the World Series for Houston was their bullpen, and we talked about this last week. I, their bullpen was absolutely dominant. And not a lot of people talk about it. Their pitching was great, but their bullpen was historically good. And if you're not going to 
go into the free agency market of starting pitching, which you could never have enough starting pitching. Everybody talks about it. Why not load up on arms and maybe go to the veteran route of David Robertson, Craig Kimbrell, get guys on one-year deals. And if you look at what they did um, last year, there were times they weren't great in the numbers of wins, losses, blown saves, those kind of things. But I'm telling you guys, their swing and miss stuff, their spin rates are really good. And sometimes it's the, 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 the predictor of what they're going to do because of how crazy baseball can be. When it jumps off the page of the standard-looking numbers, of the, uh, the historical numbers that you look at, uh, wins, losses, blown saves, saves, those kind of things, the things that the average fan looks at, they weren't great. But if you do the deep dive of analytics, they were really good. And so I might take a flyer on some of these guys and say, look, we'll, we'll load up on some one-year deals on some of these veterans. It's a cheaper route, and maybe we catch some flyers on these guys, and they have great years, and we can dominate with our bullpen. Because the Cardinals do not have swing and miss guys. So you're probably looking at five and fly, six and fly, and we're going to have to rely on our bullpen anyway. They've got young guys coming up that could be swinging miss guys coming out of their bullpen. So in my mind, they've got a chance to have a dominant bullpen potentially uh, throughout this course of a six-month season. You're going to have guys get injured. But why not load it up with some veterans? you got young guys coming up, and that's the direction maybe that I would go in. Danny Mack, always love chatting with you, buddy. Enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll talk to you next week as the hot stove continues to heat up. All right, buddy. Always good to visit with you guys, and we'll catch up next week. There you go. That's Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster here with us on BK and Ferrario. That's the element that I'm probably most fascinated in is that bullpen. And when I know we've talked a lot about it. I- I'm with Dan. I think you look at the Kimbrels, the Jansons, and look at the one-year deals and just let them continue to-, to flood the market that way. But, man, what worries me most, and we'll get into this tomorrow, what worries me most about bullpen arms are those multi-year deals, three, four-year deals. I don't want to see that happen. Yeah, all those deals that have been signed already, I think there's really been three big key ones. You mentioned two of them, the Danny Mack, Edwin Diaz, Rafael Montero, and also the Robert Suarez one with the San Diego Padres. That was a five-year deal with an opt-out after year three. Yeah, I would never sign any of those deals just because what Danny Mack mentioned, it's the hardest thing is to predict what a bullpen arm is going to end up doing. And you see it with guys all the time. We're like, I mean, look at Greg Holland, for example. I, I bring him up because he was dominant in Kansas City for years, went to Colorado. He was fine in Colorado, had some struggles p- pitching in the altitude, which a lot of guys do. Came to St. Louis, really struggled, but then he ended up finding it later on in his career after St. Louis a little bit as well. So you can see there's just that roller coaster effect that occurs. So I, I would be very hesitant to hand out anything above a two-year deal. I, the the money thing wouldn't scare me as much. If it's two years, $40 million for, I'd say, Kenley Jansen, the money wouldn't be the thing that scares me. It would be if it's like, hey, he wants a three-, four-year deal. That's where it starts to concern me, and that's where I think the Cardinals need to learn lessons from past experiences and go, okay, well, we really like you. We'd love to have you here, but if you want three, four years, we're going to have to back out two of this years, contract. Two years, $40 million dollars would piss me off Yeah, because that's $20 million a year that you could have spent on – I was just throwing that out. Like, no, to, I know. I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying like, the money thing doesn't scare me on a reliever. It's no, more the it. years yeah. that are the problem for me. I absolutely agree with that. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, are the Cardinals really going to be running it back with the offense? It really seems that way, which could also kind of change their plans for the offseason. We'll get into that. But coming up next, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's 
open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. We're waiting for his flight to land in Chicago. So 115, 130, JR is going to be joining us. Also in the 1 o'clock hour, you got your chance to win a pair of Thomas Rhett tickets. So make sure you stay tuned. But now we dive into that junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got? All right. You know those earbuds where they have kind of the, I don't even know what to call it, but it's the earbuds going to plug into your phone and they've got kind of that soft like padding around the earpiece that goes in your ear. I don't know if that like helps Like the old school? It. Yeah, the old school. It's oh, got the yeah. little round bit that's on top there. Get a lot of earwax on those. Yeah, yeah. It's nasty. So I'm your never going to be like, hey, listen to this. I'm like, I don't want to listen to your freaking earwax. Yeah, can we clean it first? Yeah, clean it off, you nasty. Uh, but I'm never wearing those kind of headphones again after reading this story. Okay? So a man, in, a British man, he had those headphones, and he'd had a couple pairs of them, and he started to lose hearing in one of his ears. And he thought he was, you he know. He had just, a couple pairs of them? No, no, I'm just, he'd been oh, through okay. a couple he, Okay, I thought you meant like he was losing them in his ear, and I'm like, no, no. So, he his dude's ears. But so he starts losing hearing, starts experiencing uh, hearing loss, and he's just, he's worried about it. So he goes to a doctor, and they look in his ear, and part of the, like, padding thing on the ear part had kind of ripped off or broken off and fallen into his ear, and it kept, Ugh. like, lodging its way down in there, and it was causing him to lose hearing in his right ear. Does he never use Q-tips to, like, you know. Well, no, no, it like fell in to where it couldn't be yeah, reached. But by like, Q-tip. it does sound like your ears go down and you lose it. Like it goes back to your eardrum. Yeah, but I think when you go to put the Q-tip in, how far science, do you stick that Q-tip science, in? Science says that it pushes back the earwax. Hey, man, you gotta be, you gotta have a little resistance when you stick those Q-tips in your ears. But apparently, I guess he, either the Q-tip shoved it further in, or it just fell way back in there. Mm. It was stuck in his ear, and he even started to lose hearing out of his right ear because he had part of a earbud in his ear (laughs) that's that's jacked up i'd be very worried about that is it weird that like certain things like that have always made have always made me nervous it's kind of like the the quicksand thing are you scared of earbuds no think about this for a minute it was like the quicksand thing like for some reason i had this irrational fear that quicksand was going to be a major problem in my life and it wasn't i have this irrational fear of losing things in your ear or have you ever had you do contacts t-bone no, I don't no. have contacts. See, I have contacts. Contacts I, would scare me. I though. do. Th- I have this irrational fear of like my contact getting lost in my eyeball, and then like they have to like go have surgery on my eyes. Uh, it's just this irrational fear, and now I have an irrational yeah, fear I, of losing. Th- I mean, like here's the thing: I never shove anything that far down in my ears, so I shouldn't be worried about losing them. Like I don't know how far this dude's shoving his ears or earpods in. End of show cut. No, that's not the end of show cut. But yeah, I had this. I have this irrational fear of contacts that I lose one See, in my I, eyeball. I would understand the fear of the contacts, the ear thing. Like typically, like having earbuds in it, that typically wouldn't scare me until now. Um, that's why I would just stick with the AirPods. I'm getting rid of all the wired ones that have the 
little protection thing That's on why it. That's wear over-the-ear ones when yeah, you go grocery smart shopping. now because you never know when it's going to get stuck in your S- ear. Someone texted in and said, from the 314, Q-tips are terrible for your ears, Alex, and ENT here. I know that because I have issues. That's probably how I got the thing stuck in I have issues with, with wax buildup, so you got to get them cleaned. And they've said, like, don't. But you got to use the Q-tips to at least, like, clean the ears somewhat. And, like, it's not like you're... I, I'm just curious how far this guy was shoving his air his uh, headphones down his ear canal. Saying, and those things don't really no because like, you have to like maneuver them in. Well, yeah, but also like those things typically don't like rip. Like it's not like I'm trying to think of the best case scenario here, but like some things that you have they start to kind of wear off over time. Typically, those ear pod things really don't, which is weird. Man, must just be really aggressive with them. Someone texted and said, one time I took a nap with my contacts in and woke up with one of them disappearing. So I've accepted the fact that I have a contact in my head floating around. That frightens the hell out of me. So thank you for that 314. I'm going to have nightmares of that later on today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. But coming up next, have the Blues found their line combinations for the time being? Or can they be more permanent? We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. No BK today. They'll be back with us tomorrow. Blues will be back at it tomorrow. Also, 5.30 pregame, 6.30 puck drop against the Chicago Blackhawks. We'll talk about the Blues' victory last night with Jeremy Rutherford coming up in our next segment. But let's get into the offense for St. Louis because that is now three straight games where they have scored three or more goals in the midst of this three-game winning streak. And the offense, two weeks ago, was a concern to the point where we were talking about finding people to trade for. Now, I don't know if it's fixed, at least long term, but temporarily, I think they have found the right combinations for all four lines. It's starting to get that flow that they were searching for at the beginning of the season. And look, I know it's an excuse, but maybe the start of the the weird schedule with the season really did have an impact on this team. And then it's pretty obvious that Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich took an impact also when those guys were out. How about this for you? The Blues this season are 6-2 and two with Brandon Saad in the lineup. They're 0-6 without Brandon Saad in the lineup. I knew it was important to the team. And to add on to it, I know you're a big Josh Levo guy. Which, by the way, that's points you, in two straight games. Are you about to say they're three and zero with Josh Levo? They're four and zero when Josh Levo plays over ten minutes this season. Fluke. But how is it a fluke? That's over ten minutes, and three of those four wins are because Honestly, he's playing. I don't even. I don't even read into the Brandon inside zero and six. I was in the middle of an eight game losing streak. Everybody's record got changed. <laughs> well, not really. Obviously, Brandon Sod's successful. The reason I'm bringing up these numbers is you're getting some consistency on those lines. Here's Craig Bruby last night talking about that chemistry. Been very good. Um, so that's we got to you know we got to keep doing that for us. But I thought we got um, real good contributions from everybody tonight you know everybody really was dialed in competed hard you know a charge line had some great shifts down low just working them hard hockey um you know so it was really good to see and our defense was solid they played hard they did a good job defending and broke pucks out and battled yeah i agree with you um 
chemistry's been good. Um, you know, I like the lines right now. Craig, we get those questions. He's like, easy. This is easy for me. Yeah, I agree with you. He, the line combination. So this is how it broke down last night. Uh, the Alexandrov, Achari, and Pitlick line had three scoring chances for two of those were high danger scoring chances. They had three scoring chances allowed, but only allowed one high danger scoring chance. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, that high danger one was when they got hemmed into their zone on late on a shift. Ivan Barvish had Braden Shen, Jordan Cairo, four high, four scoring chances, one high danger, seven scoring chances allowed. Buchnevich with a goal, eight scoring chances, six scoring chances allowed. And then, the Brandon Saad, Ryan O'Reilly, Josh Leva line, they had six high-danger scoring chances and two high-danger scoring chances allowed. I mean, you're getting the offense from all four lines right now, and you can tell how Craig Bruby's wanting to use them. You've got the puck possession line. You've got the skill line. You've got the Shen, Kairou, and Barbashev line, which is kind of the X-factor in terms of a third line going up another team's third line, and then you've got your fourth identity line. Like, it's back to the chemistry that Craig Berube was really searching for at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I, I think all those lines have now found that sweet spot to where it is, okay, now they don't look kind of clunky. And I, that's the way I think I would describe when he had O'Reilly and Kairou. And I, I think you got a hint of that when it, I think it was Berube spoke before the season and he was asked about it. Yeah, they're, they're still working on it. It's like, oh, okay, that's uh, not a good sign that we're going into the season with a line that's still working on that chemistry through camp. But I... I think all these lines now kind of have their identity. And though that third line with Shen, Barbie, and Cairo, Cairo feels like one of those guys that one of these things doesn't fit like the other. But yeah, he's but played really well with that line. I was going to say, you see how he's creating scoring. He had two blocked shots last night. Yeah. Like and, Cairo with blocked shots. And, and I think part of that is Brayden Shen has kind of, I don't want to say like, Rubbed got, off on him? Got onto him. Or What's I, rub off mean? Yeah, Come I, on, man. I wasn't going to say that either. Um, but I, I do think that Braden Chen has had a very influential part of the change of Jordan Cairo that we've kind of seen this season. And all those other lines, now that they're kind of clicking together, now you can see that I still think they are a top nine forward short. But now, now it feels like the top nine is kind of complete. Now you know, okay, here's what we have. It was kind of like last year. You knew who the top nine were every now and then you have to juggle the lines up because the offense have gotten stale. Now that you have all all those top three lines figured out, your top nine is set, now it just provides more uh, fluidity for the St. Louis Blues because now they know, okay, here's my line mates. Now I know that we can build chemistry. We know what our goal is. I, I'm not sure the, when the O'Reilly and Kyra were together, I don't know if they truly th- knew whether we were going to be a, a rush line or we were going to be a possession puck line. Now Ryan O'Reilly knows, okay, I'm with Saad and I'm with Levo. We're going to be kind of that grinded out puck possession group. Thomas Booch and Tarasenko are kind of that rush line. And then again, that Shen Barbie with Kyra line I think it's more kind of a blend but I think it blends well together where Kyrie's now being playing a little bit more aggressive and that line kind of stays with the puck possession as well I, I think it's pretty obvious how the line combinations work and the reason Ryan O'Reilly wasn't working well and Barubi has stated this is because Josh Levo is a puck possession guy he holds on to the puck he says this is my puck I'm going to be selfish with it but if I've got the right play I'm going to come away with it and he's been making those plays because Ryan O'Reilly is the guy that's in the right place at the right time and then of course you got Brandon Saad there also um so you're getting that which is a benefit and somebody texted in and said alex the scheduling issue is an excuse because you do realize that the scheduling issue they were winning they started losing when the schedule got back to normal that's what i'm stating Uh, maybe it really was they had no opportunity to get line chemistry going in nhl action yeah they were winning but look at those wins that they pulled away with the exception of the edmonton oilers you blew a lead in the second period to columbus you blew a lead to the seattle kraken in the second period and you had to win that one in overtime it took a little bit to finally get some line chemistry and now you've 
I think that's the fourth straight game that they have stuck with the same line combos, which is why you're seeing so much success right now. I, I don't buy into the excuse, though, of the scheduling. And part of the reason I say that is because it's not like they just were off a while between the end of the last preseason game until their first game. They were, but they also had a bonding trip. So for whatever reason, just that line combination wasn't going to work. And then to your point, always juggling up those lines as as we until we got to the point we're at now, I think that was just kind of just the Blues kind of pressing of, oh boy, this is really starting to snowball on us, and we need to try and find five-on-five offense. So what were they doing? They were constantly changing the lines. And I do think that that played a big part into that chemistry that we're talking about. But I I don't use the schedule as, oh yeah, this is why they struggled. I'm going to use the schedule as, okay, this is a fair excuse for why they're struggling. No, they should have been able to work it out. But now it it ends up being fine now that you've sorted things out and you've now got your your whole lineup basically set. Absolutely, I get that. But uh, it's hard to work it out when you don't know who works well with Ryan O'Reilly and I think that's what they were trying to figure out that's why you saw Kairou and Barbashev and Shen and all and Jake Neighbors play with him they were really trying to find somebody that worked there it's the trickle down effect if you don't have Ryan O'Reilly well then you're relying on one line and all of the other lines suffer whereas now you've got that line that works and now you've got your third line center with Braden Shen which is making Jordan Kairou a better player which is making Ryan O'Reilly's line better it's the trickle down effect so but I understand people looking at it as an excuse uh, the one thing you can't make an excuse for is the identity. Are we starting to see the Craig Berube mentality back? Because he had a comment last night after the game talking about the puck battles. You're winning those. You've got guys that are all sacrificing themselves, going in for it. You're going in hard. You're keeping the puck down low. Is that what we were missing all along? Is that what this team was saying? Like, hey, we've got the talent but we need to find a way to utilize it on the ice. And when you're winning those puck battles and when you're holding the puck down below the offensive zone, the goal line, you're creating offense out of it. Like Baruby has had this all along. Yeah, I think you're starting to see them kind of move back towards that quote-unquote Baruby mentality of the let's be more puck possession in the offensive zone, look for uh, quality over quantity and shots. Uh, but I don't think they were ever in a – I don't think they were ever a rush team. I don't think they were ever, were ever trying to be that rush team at the beginning of the season. Uh, I just think for whatever reason, just the line combinations weren't clicking and you had guys that just weren't playing at the level that the Blues needed them to. Like Jordan Kyra, I'm using him as an example again. But early on in the year, he was not winning those puck battles. He was struggling in the offensive zone when he was on Ryan O'Reilly's line and generating offense. And now I mentioned the scenario last night where he goes into the offensive zone and what's he do? He just pins himself up against the boards, buys time for a line change to occur. And I think the puck ended up leaving the zone, but he did the smart play there in doing that. He wasn't doing that earlier in the year. So I think they are back to that Baruby mindset. I think they're kind of I don't think they were ever out on the mindset, but they are completely back into it. Where you've got Josh Levo, who pairs well with Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Sod, and playing that style and working from behind the net. And Shen and Barbie, now that are paired together, are playing really well that same kind of style. So I, I do think that they are more more towards that mindset. I think they had guys that weren't all the way there yet, like Kyrie wasn't there early on in the year. Uh, Logan Brown, I think, was another guy. Jake Neighbors. And now you look at it, and there's why those guys, Brown's on the line because he's hurt, but that's why Jake Neighbors is probably down in the minor leagues. He wasn't playing that kind of style effectively enough. I think he was trying to, but he wasn't playing it effectively enough. And now they've got the top nine figured out. I think it is more that Baruby style. They're not going to be a rush team. Yeah, somebody texted in and asked um, if the blocked shots that we're seeing from the team has helped them have more success. I think that is part of it. That gives the guys a little bit more adrenaline when you 
see Colton Pareko diving in front of shots left and right to try and block him to hold on to that lead. Let's ask this to Jeremy Rutherford. Let's see if he believes that the Baruby mentality is back as JR, who is out on this road trip. He's going to join us from Chicago next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Well, let's head out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to check in with the man who has so many air miles already under his belt. Uh, at least in this week, he's gone from Vegas to Colorado to Chicago and back to St. Louis Thursday night for the Blues. He is Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider of The Athletic. JR, how's Chicago, my man? Or do you even know what city you're in right now? I don't know what city. Yeah, no, we just landed in Chicago. I think I'm at Midway. Sometimes you land and you don't know Midway O'Hare. <laughs> I'm at Midway, and uh, but watching some good hockey, so it's making all this travel worthwhile absolutely jared let's start with just the uh the storyline surrounding this team of course now in the midst of a three-game win streak in the mom's trip um and it seemed like uh that was pretty influential for a lot of those players and i know you have a piece up on the athletic talking about that trip yeah it was a lot of fun yesterday you know i went up to bonnie o'reilly ryan's mom and i've known her for a couple of years and i said hey, bonnie i need some help and she said what's that and i said i don't know a lot of the moms here uh, is there any way you could round a few up? Well, two minutes later, she brings four more moms <laughs> over. And, and we sit down in the lower bowl there at the arena in Colorado, and we laughed our butts off for 30 minutes. It was great. All you had to do was ask a question about what's it like to be here, and they just played off each other, and it was great. The best part is they've, they've never met. A lot of them haven't, but they lived the same life, basically. And so one mom would say something, and the other four would kind of nod in unison, because they've lived it. So uh, really special for these ladies to be on this trip. They had a blast. You saw it on ballets last night, and uh, it was a fun piece to do for the athletic. Yeah, well, and I also saw them all singing Country Roads after the victory, and I, uh, <laughs> I'm i in the minority because, of course, I don't like Country Roads, and uh, now it seems like that's going to be the rally fun, song. Man. Just hate well, fun. Alex, you know, you know what there? It was, it was funny because we were interviewing Colton Pareko inside the visiting locker room at Ball Arena last night, and all of a sudden you just hear this singing, and you're like, what is that? And it wasn't clear because they were outside the room and they were you know, down a bit, but uh, you come out of the, the locker room door there, turn the corner, and there's 21 moms just belting it out uh, country roads, and I get some video up on Twitter that people haven't had a chance to see it, so uh, pretty wild. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jared, and then let's get into the, the game. Um, a, a phenomenal performance by that team. I know you asked uh, Craig Bruby after the victory last night about you know this team avoiding that snowball effect, and I think that's been the biggest thing that has stuck out to me in these three games. You go back to the San Jose Sharks one where you, know, you allow that goal in the third period to tie things up, and the Blues find a way to end in regulation the Vegas Golden Knights they take the lead twice and you find a way to come back and win that game I mean you're winning in different ways that you just weren't in the eight game losing streak see that's the biggest thing to me and you know I always tell you Alex that it's 10 o'clock at night the game's over you get back to the press box and you get a blinking cursor and you have to write an article and, and you think to yourself you know what are the reasons that this team has been able to pull it back I mean we were just 10 days ago talking about dismantling things and they still could. They're not out of the woods yet, but it's been much better hockey lately. So when you sit down, you try to think of five or so reasons of why they're playing better. And to me, the one that really sticks out the most is just the uh, the fragility is, is something that uh, we talked about uh, a week ago, 10 days ago, is that whenever this team did give up a goal, 
their diver got down and they couldn't come back from it. And then all of a sudden there's two or three in the back of the net and you just laid it out there perfectly. You look at that San Jose game, you look at the Vegas game and you look at last night and there were points to crumble and they got stronger in those situations. So to me, we can talk about getting in on the Ford check. We can talk about boxing out in front of the net. We can talk about the penalty kill, not taking penalties, so on and so forth. All those add to it. But I think the, the fact that this team isn't buckling when the other team uh, strikes is, is probably the biggest thing. You know, the other thing for me too, JR, is you just look at the building blocks. The San Jose Sharks game, you know, you go into that third period in a one-goal lead and you give up that early goal like we mentioned. You were outshot by the Sharks 9-6, to six, but you win that game essentially. The Vegas Golden Knights game, we all can agree that that third period was rough. They were outshot 22 to nothing at even strength but held on. But the part that got me, the building blocks that we're talking about, was last night they were outshot 18 to 13 by Colorado, but you take out their four shots on the power play. I mean, they were only outshot by one goal at even strength with a one goal lead in Colorado. Yeah, and it's a really good offense. Even though they're missing a couple of their key players, it's a really good offense, and they kept coming last night. You could feel it. But I think what Craig Bruby said afterwards really rings true is that they gave them a lot of perimeter stuff. Yeah, they got inside at times, don't get me wrong but there weren't the freebies. There weren't the wide-open slot shots that the Blues have been you know, accustomed to giving up, and we've seen it a lot this season. Uh, but I think last night they made the avalanche work for quality shots, and uh, then you had Jordan Bennington backstop. And that's the one thing you know we definitely have to mention his name. He has just been lights out, 933 save percentage in these three games. Talked to Robert Thomas last night at his locker and just said, look, I know he's been good. Even during the eight-game losing streak, Jordan Bennington was pretty good. But what about these last three games? He said different level, different level. He's been lights out. So the Blues could have played a better game. They could have kept their composure in all these situations. And if they didn't have the goaltending, they weren't going to win. But uh, he's been really, really good. He has, JR. And, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, uh, I asked the question, like, is this the best we've seen Jordan Bennington in the regular season since dot, dot, dot? And I think you got to go back to that all-star season where he was 30 and 13. And, of course, we all say that if they don't go into the pandemic there, that team's probably talking about a deep postseason run I put this out there last night and I got some slack for it but I I do think it's credible when you look at it you take out those three losses to Montreal the Kings and the Islanders and look you can't take away stats for a goaltender but you can justify them by saying he gave up all of these backdoor goals which nobody is going to be stopping you take out those three losses you're talking about a Bennington who is six and two with a 935 save percentage which would be third best in the National Hockey League Yeah, absolutely terrific. And I realize there's going to be people listening who say, hey, you can't take out some games, and I get it. Uh, But but I think that we can all look at uh, that eight-game stretch and then the season as a whole and say that Jordan Bendigan hasn't been the problem. Nobody left Enterprise Center or left an away game thinking the Blues lost that game because of Jordan Bennington. So I think he's been terrific. You know, the one thing that I noticed last night, and I'm sure you see it on TV, you guys, is uh, just the ease that he's doing it with. You You go back to last year in the regular season when he was struggling, and, and he was fighting to get across the crease. And then when he did, he'd slide and he'd get up and try to dive back to the other side just all over the place. You know, a lot of that's technique. You know, then it turns into lack of confidence, so on and so forth. But last night, it's like, okay, the puck's going to go over to this side. Here I am. Here, you want to go back over there? All right. Oh, you're going to shoot the glove. Yeah, nice try. Come, you know, it's not like Panger here, but come back again. You know, it's, it's just uh, he's doing it with ease and making it look easier than it really is.
Jerry, I wanted to get your thoughts on the power play because the power play had a big goal last night to start that third period on fresh ice. Jordan Cairo gives them that 3-1 lead, but the power play just, for some reason, has been off the last seven games. They're just three for their last 20. They're still sitting right around the middle of the pack at 16th in the National Hockey League in power play percentage. But what have you seen from the power play so far, or of late, I should say? Yeah, no, it's it's been bad. Yeah, last night I think I tweeted two for nineteen before they got that Kyra goal in the third period, and that was that was a huge one. And the biggest thing is, uh, you know, they they try to get set up, they try to establish something, but then somebody just makes a, a bad play, a miscue. We saw it with O'Reilly the other day, and all of a sudden the shorthanded chances against are, are coming. And and so I, I think first of all, avoiding those is what this power play. Uh, needs to eliminate, then you can start talking about getting in the zone and setting up and trying to score. But last night, yeah, I, I think I said that uh, uh, you, you don't have to worry about setting up in the offensive zone when you make a play like that. Just crisp passing right up the ice. Buchnevich hasn't scored a lot, but that's a terrific pass to Robert Thomas. Thomas feeds it to Kyra. Kyra looks like he's going to stretch the goalie, but then he tucks it in there. Uh, just a, a pretty goal, and it's 14 seconds in. And there again, as we said earlier, it's a situation where you're saying, hey, we're not buckling. We came to win this game. And then they held on after that. JR, I know. And again, we're talking with Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider, covering the team for the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Uh, I know that they went four for five last night on the penalty kill and the massive PK that they had with the five on three late in the third period. But they did go into that game last night, 29th in the NHL. Now they sit at 28th. What's your concern level on the penalty kill? Yeah, I think you have to be a, a little bit concerned, uh, but wow, last night, holy <laughs> smoke. Unreal. I mean, I, I think 18th season covering the Blues, that's uh, one of the most incredible finishes, a six-on-three that I think you can see. And not only that, but to know that it's three guys, it's Mikula, it's O'Reilly, it's uh, Pareko on the ice for that last couple minutes, uh, putting that uh, avalanche power play that's clicking at 39%, uh, you know, out. So it was just great. So. You know, I think by and large, yeah, you got to be concerned about the penalty kill. It's gone through some stretches this season where, where it hasn't been good. Uh, but the key to the Blues' success, you know, we've seen Alex twice now, once in the 3-0 and run at the start of the season and now in this 3-0 and run, is just staying out of the box. You know, going into last night, they didn't have the penalties and back-to-back games. And last night, you did have five. Three of them came in the third period, and then the Buchnevich one kind of an unlucky one. Uh, but I think if if we were to sit here and say, hey, what do you think about the penalty kill? I think the day after what we saw last night it was just phenomenal. I mean, you don't win that game if Pareko, O'Reilly, Amikula, and Bennington don't come to play there. Yeah, you had a ton of those guys blocking shots. I think Kairou ended that game with two blocked shots, but you're right, Pareko was diving in front of everything. And T-Bone and I have joked around, like people aren't talking enough about Colton Pareko laying that massive hit on Nathan McKinnon with seconds to go in the third period. Uh, JR, final one, because I hear the airport uh, giving you an announcement, but we did just talk a little bit ago about the offense and kind of if this offense is getting more chemistry throughout their lineup and if they're getting back to that Craig Berube mentality, do you feel that way? Yeah, I do. And uh, I wrote a little bit about the lines. I think the lines have some chemistry. I think getting sod back helps with that top unit. Josh, Josh Levo's helped. I call it the top unit just because it's O'Reilly. Uh, but then you saw what Buchnevich and Thomas did last night on that breakaway. And then I think uh, anytime you got Shen in the middle, that's good news. And, and then I think Kairos kind of settled in with Shen on that line. And of course, we know Barbashev is capable. And then let's talk about the fourth line too. Look, they pulled Torpchenko out of that lineup and and I think uh, he's a good player. He's going to be a good one for a long time. But I think that fourth line is humming right now. And so, you know, something that I think you really credit for these last three wins, too, is getting in on the four check and the zone time. 
And we've seen the Blues change in zone during shifts more times in the past three games than we did throughout the early part of the season. So I definitely think that the way they've played, the way they're establishing themselves down in the offensive zone has been a big key to this. JR, always appreciate the time and coverage. Great stuff. And uh, people can follow you on JP Rutherford. Go, uh, go find your hotel, figure out what city you're in, get some rest, and uh, we'll talk to you Thursday at Enterprise Center. All right. Thanks, boys. Good to talk to you. There you go. Jeremy Rutherford, the best, the one that covers the St. Louis Blues for The Athletic. And he's got those two stories up, one just talking about five things that have turned things around for St. Louis, but also giving you a little bit of behind the scenes for that mom's trip. So go check it out on The Athletic or check him out on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Coming up in 15 minutes, we will hit our BK and Ferrario rewind. But coming up next, are the Cardinals going to run it back with their offense or with their outfield? And I guess their offense, same thing, right? Are they going to run it back with this outfield this year? We'll get to that and your chance to win Thomas Rhett tickets all coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You started the season today. You have Tyler O'Neill, which, yes, I know there is a rightful concern about the injury history, regardless of his power potential. There's Dylan Carlson, who had a rather disappointing season, but I don't think we can just rule him out and act like he's not an impact player. And Lars Newbar, who had a really considerable second half and proved that he could handle the role of being an everyday guy. I'm not sure the Cardinals go and pursue an outfielder because they have Jordan Walker, who looks to be ready at some point in 2023. I'm looking at the outfield free agent market. Not a lot of names jump out to me. I don't think Brandon Nimmo really moves the needle that much in terms of roster construction, especially if you have Jordan Walker waiting in the wings. But like I said, it's no secret that after a catcher, the Cardinals need an impact bat. So we'll have to see what avenue they use to pursue that. I think it's pretty obvious for all of us that there's not an impact bat that's going to be playing the outfield for you this season. At least that's available via free agency. Am I wrong? seen Joey Gallo? Yeah, I've seen Joey Gallo, and uh, I don't think that's the impact bat that we're talking about. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex right. Ferrario. Much contact. <laughs> no, it's more so like I need somebody who's a permanent impact bat for this team rather than a 50-game impact bat for this team. But with that being said, that was Katie Wu, of course, earlier uh, yesterday with us on BK and Ferrario, which, by the way, you go check out that full interview from yesterday and our interviews today with Dan McLaughlin and Jeremy Rutherford up on the podcast page after the show, 101ESPN.com. Thanks to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Are the Cardinals really going to just run it back with this offense? And I ask this because of what Katie Wu said there of knowing Jordan Walker's coming up in the wings and knowing you've got a lot of guys who can be outfielders for you. BK likes to think Nolan Gorman's one. You've got Wanya Pez. You've got Lars Newtbar. You've got Dylan Carlson. Those are a lot of guys trying to play two positions. And then you get to the left field spot. And this is why I asked the question. Because Derek Gould was asked in his chat yesterday on uh, stltoday.com. He was asked about Tyler O'Neill's place on the Cardinals. Derek Gould said this, I don't know yet, but yes, the Cardinals want to have Tyler O'Neill reassert his place as the left fielder they want slash need. They're going to give him that chance. It really feels like they're not adding to the outfield. And they're not even adding a middle-of-the-tier bench bat to the outfield. It seems like they believe they have all of that in-house. If they're going to add the bat, it's going to be catcher, Slash shortstop. Yeah, I 
if they decide to run it back with the outfield, I, I think that's fine, even though I still think that, you know, you try and sell as high as possible on Tyler O'Neill because I'm just not sure he's going to be back to a MVP caliber player again. I think that was more of a fluke than anything else. The thing is, though, is I understand running it back because of that upside that you see in Tyler O'Neill. But if that's the case, you need to look and try and find some more certainty, whether that means you're looking for a guy that could potentially platoon with Dylan Carlson if things go awry. Because uh, I know, Mo, he said it. It was very brief, but he mentioned, you know, we have to be prepared in case Carlson is just a platoon bat this coming season. So you need to find someone in if that's the case. And also, you got to find the bat if you're going to run it back with the outfield, because I don't think you can go into the season and gamble on Tyler. O'Neill will return to that MVP form. Are they banking on Jordan Walker being that bat, though? I wouldn't, but I'm starting to wonder if they will. And and look, I I think this is a fair question for the Cardinals to be asking themselves, A, because Jordan Walker is one of the highest-touted prospects that they've had since Oscar Tavares and Albert Pujols. They've said that publicly. But also the fact of the matter that look at what guys like Brendan Donovan, who just finished third in NL Rookie of the Year voting, did last year in the Arizona Fall League. Him, Gorman, Yepes all did really well in the Arizona Fall League, and it translated to pretty good seasons in Major League Baseball. Jordan Walker just, I think he's done the Arizona Fall League now, and he tore the cover off the ball. So maybe they can see that transition. I wouldn't be willing to risk it. I would much rather look for more certainty so there's not as much pressure on Jordan Walker. And it's kind of the same for Tyler O'Neill. If you want to bring back Tyler O'Neill to be your everyday left fielder, I get it, but you should have kind of a a backup scenario ready to go. Someone that's on the bench that can platoon with Carlson if it doesn't work out or fill that spot in left field for Tyler O'Neill if things don't go work out. And maybe they're thinking maybe that's Lars Newbar because then you've got Walker in right field. But if you're not gonna if you're gonna run it back with this outfield, you need to get an impact bat somewhere. And it shouldn't be, well we're gonna gamble on O'Neill to become that guy again because they did that last year and it didn't work out and they got saved by Albert Pujols or banking on Jordan Walker be that guy because I just think that's too much pressure. It's gotta be where you were saying it's got to be a catcher, which honestly the only guy to me is probably Wilson Contreras, or it's got to be a shortstop, but I just don't know if they have the money or the willingness to go out there and spend on one of those guys. The problem is you're not just banking on one guy. You're banking on four guys. Like, I know we sit here and act like, yeah, they're they're, they're banking on Tyler O'Neill to, to reassert himself. You're also banking on Dylan Carlson to be the bat that you thought he was and not a one-sided bat, and I know the wrist injury is something that a lot of people talked about, and maybe that's true. You're banking on Lars Newbar to continue a full season of what he did for a couple of months last season. You're banking on Jordan Walker being an impact bat immediately for your team. And then these other guys, you're banking on Brendan Donovan to uh, be able to play above average defense for you in the outfield and not be a liability. The same with Juan Yepes and the same with uh, Nolan Gorman if they go that route. Like that's a lot of banking on. And I kind of know that's the name of the game when it comes to teams that aren't going to uh, surpass the 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 luxury tax threshold of you got to bank on guys clicking for you, but like I think you need a little bit more certainty in your lineup, and that's why we keep going back to the shortstop slash catch slash catcher market because there's just no certainty with the outfield. Like you can go Michael Conforto, I love that name, but he's a platoon bat. You can go Jack Peterson, but he's a platoon bat. And none of these guys are above average defensively for you in the outfield. And what does this team talk about all the time? Defense. Yeah, and the other thing for me, and you brought, I'm glad you brought it up, the, these guys being platoon bats, if you go sign an outfielder, and I, I do think they should explore signing somebody, and I get it, I agree with Katie, Brandon Nimmo is probably not that impact bat. No, Honestly, I think he's like, going to outprice himself because of him being the second best free agent on the market in terms of the outfield class, and he's drawn a ton of interest. But someone like a Andrew Benintendi, whoever I bring in, I want them to be an everyday player, if that's the case, because of what you're talking about. And, I, and when I say that, I'm 
imagining if they do decide to move on from Tyler O'Neill. Again, we don't know. It sounds like they're probably going to run back with him, but let's say they do. You got to go out there and you got to get somebody that's going to be an everyday bat because as good as Lars Newport was against right-handed pitching, he doesn't hit lefties well. So you got someone's going to have to take his spot against a left-hander. Dylan Carlson did a really good job against left-handers. Well, he struggled against right-handed pitching, and if that's the case, that's two platoon bats, and then you don't know what you have in left field. Maybe Walker ends up being that guy. But again, I want to take as much pressure off of his plate as possible and go get some more certainty. That's why I think someone like a Andrew Benintendi makes sense. Get him in on a three-year deal. Sure, it's probably going to be about maybe $18 million a season, but you bring him in here, he's going to be a guy that can help set the table, and he also provides more certainty to an outfield that has a bunch of question marks. This is also why I believe if they're going to make a trade for a catcher, it's going to be Nolan Gorman. And I know people have thrown in Lars Newtbar's name, but Derek Gould also had this in his chat yesterday. Quote, as many as... As much as any player in the second half for the Cardinals, Lars Nupar raised the ceiling of expectations for his future. His walk rate was among the league leaders. His damage against right-handed pitching is someone the Cardinals need, and his speed-slash-defense mix fits a lot of places to give the team flexibility. Heck, he was a leadoff hitter they were searching for. Here's a good way to think about how much Nupar did to change his pace with the Cardinals and their view of him as yes, as a starter going into the 23 season. A few months removed from a demotion to Class AAA and an uncertain role, he's at least of interest to one team, Toronto, as it looks in trades. That's telling. He could be of any of the three things you described, but he returns as a starter, and he absolutely rewrote where he is on the depth chart. Expect to hear the word bullish from someone about Newt Bar. Like, as much as we want to say, like, well, trade large Newt Bar, and I'm with you, Tanner. I, I think he is a above I think he's an overqualified fourth outfielder, and I think he's probably a average outfielder for you as an everyday guy. But the Cardinals don't see it that way. So if they're going to make a trade for a catcher, I, I think it's going to be one of the infielders before it's going to be Lars Nupar because of the uncertainty in the outfield and because of the available names via free agency. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the route that they may end up looking at. It. The good news for them is that it just comes down to they have so many quality pieces that they can move and it just comes down to whatever that other team fits because I, I think they would be willing to part from Lars Newport maybe more than Nolan Gorman I think they're still very high on Nolan Gorman just because of as we talked about earlier him being the potential 30 home run left-handed bat and I think Jim Bowden said this there's not many guys that can do that so I think they'll be more uh hesitant on the Nolan Gorman front but like you look at Lars Newport Juan Yepes uh Who's the oh Alec Burleson? I yeah. forgot his name there for a second. Well, that doesn't uh, good I, well. It's because he has such great value. Um, I I think those guys they'll look at exploring just to see. Okay, we don't really want to move on from the Long Garman because we believe that he's a thirty home run power guy. And look, we're really high on Lars Newpar, but I don't think he's a guy that you look at and go, he's untouchable. If we have to move him to upgrade the catch position or to upgrade the offense just as a whole. I think they'll look at that. I, I think they truly will. I, I don't think Lars Newpar is someone that's going to be viewed as untouchable on this team. Maybe, but you're going to have to find a way to upgrade somewhere, and that's where we go, always go back. Like, we always get texts that says, wow, another day, another talk about the shortstops that the Cardinals aren't going to get. I get it, but that's this offseason. If you're going to improve the offense, it's only going to come from one area. It's making the trade for a catcher, which is going to cost you a lot, and you're trading assets out to get that player here or it's going to be signing one of these shortstops. And if not, you're going to run it back with the same offense without Albert Pujols on it. So that's where the concern comes into play here uh, going into this upcoming season. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Hey, if you can tell us what Tanner's body part we talked about on the junk drawer where the individual lost something. 
worst description ever, but people will get it if you're listening. If you can tell us that, I hope so. And be texter 101, you win your chance a or you win a pair of free tickets to see Thomas Rhett's home team tour with special guest Cole Swindell on Saturday, May 20th at Enterprise Center. The tickets are on sale now. If you don't win those pair of tickets, then you'll get your other free chances to win on 101ESPN.com or the 101 mobile app. We'll take our break, come back, and hit the rewind as we round things out here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Alex Ferrario as we oh we didn't we didn't even check the results of our uh, pick'em punishment. Maybe we'll save that for tomorrow when BK's back. Okay. You wanna do that? Because yeah. neither of us prepared for that, but that's just Well, well we didn't have to tell the truth there. Well you, I'm not gonna lie to our listeners. I'm honest. Hundred percent honest, Tanner. I can tell you listeners, I would have just told you we were doing it tomorrow. <laughs> we'll do that tomorrow. Uh as we close things out on the rewind here, we go back to where we started. And this Blues team now in the midst of a three-game win streak. You snapped a nine-game win streak from Vegas. You snapped a four-game win streak from Colorado. And you get set to take on Chicago tomorrow night. And we ask the question, are you bought back in to this Blues team? Now, a lot of people said that they never bought out on this team. And rightfully so. It was very early to hit the panic button and say that the season was a lost cause. But... It's hard not to buy back in like we just talked about with Jeremy Rutherford of how good they're getting goaltending. You're starting to see more chemistry develop offensively. And look, this is probably the perfect time to get confidence because now you've got a stretch of four games in six nights that you're playing Chicago, Washington, and Anaheim twice. And Washington and Anaheim are two home games. So, And then you wrap up the season or the, the month with Buffalo, Tampa, Florida, and Dallas. So three, four games that are, I don't want to say easy, but good for this team to go up against with confidence under, under their belt. And then you wrap up the month with four very tough opponents once again to see that measuring stick. Yeah, I, I think that this team has built some momentum now that these next four games, the minimum goal should be to get back to 500. They're six and eight. And that would mean if you were to go three and one, you'd be at 500. So yeah. that, that should be the minimum, especially in this stretch where, let's be honest, the Blackhawks aren't good. They're just kind of a mirage at this point. <laughs> Washington's, I still think, going to be end up being a good team. They've had some early season struggles like the Blues had went through, and then Anaheim's just garbage. So you should be able to win three of the next four. In the way that this team is playing right now, I think they should be able to. In fact, I think they should probably win all four of those games, if I'm being completely honest with you, which talk about a weird turnaround we've had in a matter of a couple of weeks because yeah. they've got their lines. The You can see the chemistry on the lines now. They have found the top nine, and honestly, the fourth line's been playing pretty well. They know what their 12 forwards and what the lineup's going to look like in the defense. I know we've talked about it's been kind of a tale of two defenses so far this season, but if they continue to play like they did against Vegas and against Colorado, where they're holding the teams to the outside, not giving up as many high-danger quality opportunities, you're going to give Jordan Bennington a fighting chance. And the way Bennington's playing, he should be able to steal some games from for you as well. So it's good to see them playing better. And again, I think this is that time where after that four-game stretch, we're going to be talking about a team that's on a pretty big winning streak or back to 500, and then we'll be talking about you know how do they handle these next round of tests. But they should be able to build some momentum 
in the next four games. Fastlane will react to that Blues victory and more coming up from 2 to 6 o'clock. We'll be back with you tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.